And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. As long as they keep on making animated Star Wars, Hope Molinax and Chris Honeywell will be on the case. Welcome to J-Guys and Jedi, a project that began with Clone Wars and now may never end. Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J-Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering every episode of The Book of Boba Fett. In this episode, in the past and present, Boba Fett must deal with threats on all sides. There will be Wookiee Bear Hugs, Danny Trejo, and let's talk about the Tuscans. We're talking about the Book of Boba Fett episode, The Streets of Mos Espa, this week. How are you doing, Chris? I'm good. I'm doing good, too. I remember the cool thing! Ah! <laughs> Sorry! <laughs> talking right before we started recording i was like man i had a really cool thing happen to me this week and i can't for the life of me remember it and i just remembered it uh, <laughs> sorry how are you chris good i hope this i hope this lives up to well i guess it does have a lot to live up to so uh, no i was just gonna talk about how um we recorded our second session for for light and dice and it was a lot of fun and i'm really enjoying it and our characters are coming together and we like since we officially launched as of last week and we're we're going weekly on the episodes and it's really fun you guys should check it out because i'm really enjoying being part of this project and our team is ridiculous we are just such a mess of great characters in this tabletop podcast and we're just having a really 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 good time <laughs> That was the cool thing I uh, that like blanked on my mind, um, but yeah. So I just I'm really having fun with this group of people, and you guys should go listen to for light and dice because we're having a really good time, and I'm enjoying it. Please. <laughs> that was the cool thing. Hope has allergies, so she's very forgetful right now because her brain's not working fully. <laughs> the fall allergies are in effect. So I'm a little loopy right now. Let's go. How it are hasn't you, Chris? hit here yet. <laughs> we just had the tree in our backyard has to come down. I think I talked about that before, right? Oh no, you haven't. Share. We have a tree that's it's a beautiful tree. It shades our whole back part of the house and the whole backyard and like keeps the house cool in the summer, but it's also oh. growing into the side of the house. Yeah, like I remember the, you the telling me about this. Trunk I don't, of the tree I, is up against the 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 roof of the back garage and like you know pushing against it and and uh yeah ripping up the sidewalk between the neighbor's house and ours is lifting up from the roots of it so it's it's we've known it's got to go for a while but they came and they cut a lot of the branches off in anticipation of taking the whole tree out in the fall and already like my backyard has sun again i'm like ooh, we can have a garden back here or we might have grass growing again or something growing again <laughs> so that's that's nice and you all miss that tree the tree is uh definitely it was a it was a it was a nice tree it's still there it still is a nice tree but it's always sad when you lose a tree 
yeah it's a it's a it's a good sized tree too and it has a really big spread over it is really nice looking you know and like if it started raining and you're in the backyard you had about 10 minutes you know before the water started hitting you so it's always nice like that but it's gotta go it's gonna it's already making cracks in the wall of the house and stuff so yeah 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 yeah, um, build a tiny cat tree house for Miss Bernice and take her picture before she leaves. The tree, not Bernice. Bernice isn't going anywhere. <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, before the, the tree leaves. I don't know. I don't know how, like, I don't know how, I don't think Bernice has really spent any time outside. And, like, putting her in a tree would probably be the most, like, <laughs> dramatic incident in Why are you doing this? me yes what is going on yeah it's That's gonna awesome. be her first trip to the the vet's gonna be bad enough it's gonna be a total alien abduction <laughs> but oh man ah, so we're ha- still having a good week we're both still enjoying andor i should yeah i should say um yep. episode five came out last week episode six is tomorrow so See the big heist. Mm. Mm. Still like an Andor. Yeah, I I uh, I enjoyed this episode. I I thought I um it's it's I I would almost like them to do um. It looks like it's just going to be in sets of threes, and you know, like like each one has like an intro, and then like you know you know here's the situation, um. Here's all the new characters. Here, you know, here's the setup, and then like the uh, resolution in the the last episode. And that's a. It looks like they're following that same formula. Yeah, like I this, this section. I because here's the thing about episode five. I really liked it. I loved everything about it, but I don't have any strong feelings about it because it was all set up. Like I, I like all the character work and like getting to know everybody, but I'm not like. I, I do feel like the show works better in, in the arcs, um, opposed to, like, releasing them episode order. That did not make sense. Ep- releasing them weekly. Woo! Antihistamines. You are kicking in, aren't you? <laughs> Words. Um, but I, I did really feel that this week, more than I did last week, where I'm just like, this is all really, really good. But it feels just like like a, like those Clone Wars episodes where it's all set up and it's just kind of like there. But they're not just there because they're doing work. Am I making sense? Yeah, I, I, um, like, I just don't have strong feelings. Like, I had to write about stuff from this episode for Dork Side for work, and I'm just like, everything was good. But there's like, it's all set up, and I think in context with next week, it will actually work a lot better. But I have like nothing yes. to say about it because <laughs> I don't yeah. feel very strongly about it, other than the fact that Bill and Senta are probably girlfriends. <laughs> Let's go, girlfriends. <laughs> I don't know. It looks like that my my theory that that's his Andor's sister in the Empire. She looks like she might be wearing some thick makeup. I I just do not support this theory. I'm not with you on it at all. You're smart. No, you're smart for not supporting my theory. But... I don't think you talked about this on the show. I know you talked to me in Facebook Messenger. Oh, I have. I just have. I just had this thought that like. There was one scene I'm like, uh oh, the the um I can't remember the character's name. Deidre. Um, yes, and I'm like, she's we're gonna see a reveal, and she's she's a sister. 
And then Hope came into this Facebook messenger and said, That's really dumb. That's dumb because she's white. <laughs> and now Chris is like, look at all her makeup. I do not agree with this theory. She definitely has she definitely has roots. A lot of people have roots. I know. I know. It's a dumb it's dumb, but I'm so my brain just went. So something about her reaction to information about Andor, and I was just like, wait a minute. Maybe she's looking for her brother, too. I, <laughs> I will say it's not dumb to have head cannons. Um, I just don't agree for. It's not head cannon. It's a head conspiracy theory. But yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't agree because that's of... I talk about it in the in the next show but i was i was like okay she's she definitely could be where you know she is in a a a major tv show so she probably is wearing makeup on her face so (laughs) yeah it's hard to tell but i think my exact reaction was i'm sorry i can't agree with you because the lack of melanin (laughs) i think that's what i said (laughs) there's a a big lack of melanin in that lady (laughs) to be to be cassian's sister (laughs) But you know, if you want to have the head conspiracy, he's not. Go he's for it. he's not super dark, but I mean, she's pretty Compared light. Compared to the child actor, though, of the sister. Yeah, but he's he's lighter than the child actor of himself too, sort of. So maybe there, maybe maybe. Where, where are I'm they? Gonna watch from... you, I'm gonna watch you dig this hole. Keep going. Yeah, no, no I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Keep digging. No, thank you. <laughs> all right uh just gonna find yoda down there <laughs> yep yep yoda's like rolling around in the mud down there <laughs> oh hi <laughs> welcome to my shame hole <laughs> shame, shame. <laughs> <laughs> oh man Oh, you ready to talk about Book of Boba Fett and some dead Tuscans? Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, folks. I'm not as I'm not as depressed about the dead Tuscans as Hope, but I you do know, have I do have some complaint. That that is sort of my sore point on this episode a little bit. I and and I was saying this before we started recording. Maybe because I was just really prepared for it this time around, but it wasn't as jarring. As it was the first time, because maybe I guess well, I was prepared for it. We've been talking about it for the last two weeks <laughs> amongst ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and I forgot how short the scene was. It's a very short scene. And there's also, but that also leads into like my, we're getting into my big criticism of the show, which is time. And I have plenty of notes on that for this episode because I, this was the first episode I really felt like. Time and pacing were massively off. Um, and we'll talk about that. But outside of that, did you like the episode? I like this episode a lot, actually. I like the episode, too. I like I like a lot of the things in the episode, despite my criticisms. So, um, you want to get into it? I'm ready. <clears throat> the streets, I almost said, I, I kind of wanted to say the streets of Moss, whatever, because that's how I feel. But the streets of Moss Espa. Is the third episode of Book of Boba Fett. It aired on January 12th, 2022, and it was written by John Favreau and directed by Robert Rodriguez. 
you can tell <laughs> this is a Robert Rodriguez show. Oh, can you? Really? You think so? The Spy Kids bikes? Yeah. And that's not a jab. I love the scooters. Don't at me. <laughs> oh, like, okay. Uh, just as a warning to everybody, my 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 Jar Jar gland is is getting set off where where like where i like something and then all of a sudden you know to come to find out everybody's hating all the stuff that i just liked and and it's it's not being contra i i legitimately was okay like was okay with jar i'm trying to think of the name of the uh, bombad jedi it's my bombad jedi re- the the bombad jedi effect where it's just like, oh, look, I love this Jar Jar episode. I'm not doing it to piss people off. I actually love it. But I also love the fact that it, it pisses people off a little bit because everybody's like crying about it. And this episode is this episode, I think I know, got extra credit for me for for introducing the elements that everybody's going to. There's only one other thing that that that's coming that has that isn't introduced in this episode that people cried about and that's like it getting taken over by the mandalorian but like all the elements of the st- the cheese elements and stuff that people are cry and cry about this episode get introduced in or in this series get introduced in this episode and then they become sort of ongoing in the whole thing and uh yeah, I I love all those aspects of it. So I, the, so it makes me want love this episode even more because this is the place where it sort of showed its hand of going like it's not going to be like the first two episodes. I, I to be honest, uh, it grew on me. I was not the biggest fan at first. I didn't hate it, but I was just like it's fine. But um, I have to give a lot of credit from to uh, Chase from Pink Milk. Because the way they laid out the mods and, like, talked about them, I was like, yeah, I can see that. Like, it was a really good. And, and like, on the second watch, I was like, yeah, I really like this. So I, I will say that they grew on me and now I really like them. So I can <sighs> understand. But I, I can I don't think people are being unreasonable. But, you know, I'm not going to mock people, like, for... I don't think there's stupid reasons to not like it, but it's just this, it's like a matter of aesthetics, you know? It's very, one of my notes is it's very prequels and it feels very prequels and people have very strong opinions on the prequels. And that's actually kind of how I saw the debate. People who were fans of the prequels really tended to like the mods and all that. The people who were not the fans of the prequels um, were the ones I saw mostly um criticizing it so like i i really did see that like debate online a lot of the stuff that appeals to me that's like kind of cheesy and it appeals to me on the comic the marvel the old marvel the original you know run of marvel comics to it that had lots had like teen biker gangs and stuff like that and would have stuff that's that that were kind of cheesy elements like this one and uh yeah i yeah I'm, I, I, I'm, I like, I, I enjoy that. Like, I mean, that's the thing. If, if we're going to get a million Star Wars things, why not have one that's a little more cheesy fun? You know, it's just, I think people also were like, oh, this is going to be like somber and cinematic, like the first two episodes. Uh-huh. But, 
you know, that also, but I'm a Robert Rodriguez fan and Robert Rodriguez can be like, all right, we were being somber and, you know, <laughs> and meditative. And now it's time for a stupid chase, you know, you know, a comedy chase and mm-hmm. comedy beats. So bring it on. Some extra information for you. Drash, the, who is the lady mod, is played by Sophie Thatcher. Her other works include the Exorcist TV series, When the Streetlights Go On, and Yellow Jackets. I did not know there was an Exorcist TV series. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I had to like be like, oh, let me make sure it says TV series. Um, I'm also just going to go ahead and say, listeners, I have a little sore in my mouth, so I'm having a little trouble talking. So if I sound a little off, that's why. I'm, I'm having a little trouble talking tonight, so that. Along with antihistamines. So it's great. Good night for Hope to podcast. Um, but if I sound like I'm slurring a little bit, that's why. Uh, where am I? Uh, Scad, who is the main man mod, main mad mo- man mod, is played by George Jordan Bulger. His other works include Peaky, uh, Peaky, Peaky Blinders, The 100, and The Woman King. Lorthra Paul, uh, <laughs> Lorthra Peel is played by Stephen Root. His other works include Office Space, The Legend of Vox Machina, King of the Hill, and Amphibia. Steven Root has one of those voices and he opens his mouth. I know it's Steven Root. Yep. I love him. Um, and the Rancor Keeper is played by Danny Trejo. Trejo is actually Robert Rodriguez's second cousin, and they collaborated on many projects together, like the Machete franchise as well as the Spy Kids franchise, where Machete is actually the same character in both franchises. Indeed. I did not know this. Indeed, I didn't know that they were second cousins. I didn't know either. Um, but I, actually, I, I what put it on my radar was I came across a post about how Spy Kids is actually the origin story for Machete, and I was like, that's fun. <laughs> I, anybody who's going to hate on Robert Rodriguez's direction in this, I'll just say this. Robert Rodriguez to make movies actually sold his body to science to to film his first movie so you gotta hand it to him i from that point on i was like okay i'm this guy's serious about being a goofball mm-hmm. danny trejo's other works include sons of anarchies from dust till dawn tv series and he's doing a lot of voice work lately including the adventures of puss and boots victor and valentino and big city greens the Pike boss is played by Phil Lamar. Phil is no stranger to Star Wars, as he was the voice of Jar Jar Binks, Kit Fisto, Orn Tall, and Bell Organa in Clone Wars Rebels in the Bad Batch. His other works include Samurai Jack, Futurama, and Star Trek Lower Decks. The mods are an homage to the mod sub- subculture that was popular in Britain throughout the late 50s and the, in the 1960s, and also the film American Graffiti. Tamora Morrison, the actor who plays Boba Fett, said that the mods are meant to add a lot of color and a lot of youthfulness to the series. They, they're they also meant to represent the new order in which Boba Fett gives everyone a fair chance. Their speeder bikes are stylized to resemble the mod scooters from this time period. Their name is also a pun. Uh, their name is also a pun since the members of the mods modify their bodies. And finally, the mod bike chase was also a callback to the swoop bike level of Shadows of the swoop bike level in the game Shadow of of the Empire on the Nintendo 64. I just wanted to say I also want to just to point out what a voice actor Phil Lamar is. Oh, he's that, such like, a good voice actor. Well, like Phil Lamar, okay, so he was in 
he was like before this, he was a comedian and then he was on, I want to say it was mad TV. Yeah. He was on mad TV and he is and his, his big like character on that was a UPS delivery guy, like a, a super caffeinated UPS delivery guy that was sort of it was a little peewee herman like where he was like do a lot of dancing around and like talking really fast but he's like always in mad tv he was always little skinny black nerdy guy you know and that he can he can do like all these voices like sort of the a lot of the sort of funnier voices for but then do bail organa <laughs> Who is like, you know, nine foot tall Jimmy Smith's, you know, you know, with that with like a majestic voice. And he just like, I'll do I'll do Bail Organa's voice in the in the cartoons, too. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Like put um, Bail Organa and then listen to something from Orn Free Tall. It's so drastically different. Different. Yeah. And he because I I know Ahmed Best only voiced Jar Jar, I think, just in the Clone Wars movies movie before film Lamar took over and like both of those are completely different from Jar Jar as well like Bill Organa versus Jar Jar in Clone Wars like those are two yeah, very yeah, different yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the, the two about as the two extremes that you can pick the two poles <laughs> I just realized there's an episode with Jar Jar and Bale and Phil Lamar pretty much voice the entire just, episode just talking to himself yeah yeah that's okay D Bradley Baker is like oh me too yeah when it comes to Bad Batch <laughs> yeah Steve Bradley uh, Baker is just a man in a room full of mirrors, like for <laughs> any Star Wars show. There's a really good video from the Bad Batch panel floating around of D. Bradley Baker just dropping into the Bad Batch voices on on stage. And it's well, so fascinating watching him just like swap between them. Yeah, well, you know what they say about D. Oh, no. D's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking I of these, like Bernice, that was the first these nuts joke I dropped when you were out. She doesn't care. Why does? Why don't? Why doesn't anybody care? You know who does care about these nuts? Oh, there you I go. Got him. Got him. Oh hi, Yoda. <laughs> Very funny jokes. <laughs> I, I... Joke about nuts. <laughs> nuts are funny. <laughs> when in doubt, Chris, Yoda will like it. Yoda like you. These hazelnuts. <laughs> I swear you're about to say Yoda likes these nuts. And I was like, oh, Yoda. Happy National Coming Out Day to you. <laughs> Yoda just came out of the swamp. What are you talking about? And Yoda came out of the swamp to tell everybody Yoda loves nuts of all kinds. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Yoda. I am interrupting you for some breaking news. Chris. Breaking news for Yoda, yes. More for uh, Apparently, uh, speaking Ooh. of Ahmed Best and Jar Jar Binks, apparently he is doing an untitled one man show about his version of how it all went down with Jar Jar. Oh, Yoda should do a one-man untitled show. Holy shit, I want this. Oh my goodness. Okay, sorry, Yoda, sorry, we'll focus. Hope out a moment. Uh, this is why Hope shouldn't get on Twitter while recording. Uh, live, from, live from the swamp. 
Live from the swamp with Yoda. Breaking news this is. Anyway, I got a question for you. A question for Yoda, yes. Yes, and it's hypothetical. So you're going to have fun with it. Black Kersantan is a gladiator. And I thought, how fun would it be if if we imagine you, Yoda, as a gladiator? Right? Yoda is Yoda's a Yoda is gladiator. But you can't have your lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Are you listening, Mama Hut? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can't have your lightsaber. So how would ah. you fight in a gladiator pit what is your weapon of choice do you have a finishing move tell me about it yoda oh oh my god during yoda's yoda's training in padawan and adventures yoda oh jedis always get thrown into gladiator pits what's a gladiator pit to to jedi to yoda remember remember things yoda can just throw around yoda just turns gladiator pit into whirling mass of flesh and misery. Yes. Very impressive. Do you... Now, if you had to choose a weapon of choice that's not a lightsaber, what would it be? The Force! Okay, you don't have the Force either. Like, nothing Jedi. Um... Gun? (laughs) Um, I don't know. You... (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's true. Bringing a gun to a a gladiator fight is a good way to get to a gladiator fight. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, if you put Yoda with no force and no lightsaber into a Jedi fight, you gotta give Yoda gun stilts. (laughs) Gun and stilts. I like where this is going. (laughs) See, I thought, like, Maybe something like, uh, like you're so tiny and like nimble, like with a little rope you can like trip people. Yoda could be tricky. Yoda could talk to them and make them depressed, maybe, and they don't want to fight. I don't. Oh. <laughs> Throw, so you... Throwing Yoda a curve, taking away his force. How? I don't know how that happens. How would? How would you take Yoda's? Yoda's practically made of midichlorians. That's true. That's true. You you practically um, these nuts, these midichlorians everywhere yeah, on everything. These midichlorian nuts. Awesome. <laughs> I need to stop reading about Ahmed Best. Anyway, thanks, Yoda. Bye. I'm so sorry, listeners. I'm so excited about Ahmed Best doing a one-man show talking about his point of view about Jar Jar. That sounds amazing, Chris. Yeah, it does. I want it now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my yeah. goodness. You know he's going to be reading, like, tweets and stuff like that. Oh, I want it so I don't know if Twitter was actually... I don't... Like, I mean, it would have been flat out... I don't know. You know, my... my uh, he, he'll just have to read stuff from, like, news groups and stuff. Because I don't think, like... He, I think it was MySpace was... I don't even know if MySpace was a thing i i know that, there was definitely internet forums but i don't oh, for I think, sure yeah yeah I for think sure i'm just that. thinking of the house i was living in and i'm like yeah that was before even friendster so yeah there there he won't be re- reading any tweets about about jar jar but i'm sure he'll be yeah on the star wars news group i'm sure there's some really fun stuff for him to read 
I just, oh man, it's, uh, I saw, I didn't mean to interrupt Yoda. I just saw that and I was just like, oh, <laughs> holy shit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I anyway. would see you. I would see somebody dressed up as Yoda doing a one man show, too. I would go see that just like a full sized actor with with the ears and stuff like coming out of the swamp. Oh, hi. Shit, you should <laughs> Didn't do expect it. to see you people here, but I would totally do it like you do it like Mark Twain or, you know, like the <laughs> one man Mark Twain play or something like that. You know, that'd be great. Spend a lot of time here in the swamp. Just sort of thinking. Thinking about my life and where things have been going. Let me tell you all about swamp juice and gas. It'll be fine. Anyway, you ready to get into act one? Oh, I think I am. I am too. So, (sighs) act one. (laughs) Here we go. We open with Boba and his favorite lady, Finnick, and the Matt Berry droid. And they're just talking about Tatooine stuff. And Matt Berry droid is like, look, guys, Bib Fortuna was really bad at his job. And what happened was all the other crime families decided to take Moss Espa and divide it among themselves. And Bib Fortuna was like, cool just don't kill me and all the crime families were like sure and yeah and they all have alliances and it's not with you and bulb is just like well that sucks and to infinix like yep that sucks a lot we're not in a great position right now but then the doorbell rings and they're like oh we have a guest and a visitor. Let's welcome them in. And so they open the door and they're like, hello. And it's Steven Root. And Steven Root is like, well, hi there, y'all. I can't do it. I'm, I'm going to try to do a Steven Root accent. Hi there. I'm here because I need to talk to the very great Boba Fett. And Boba's like, yeah, come on in. I'm your gracious leader now. He's like, oh, good, good. Um, so hi, I'm Steven. And I'm here to tell you that you suck. And Boba and Finnick are like, Oh, well, thank you for the feedback. Um, please don't mind the bullet in your head, okay? And he's like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Let me explain. Let me explain. You don't suck because you're Boba Fett. You suck because no one respects you. And Boba's like, you're not helping your case right now, my friend. But keep going. Tell me why. And Steven Root's like, look, there are these horrible monsters called youths. And these youths are just everywhere. And they're half cyborg with their ding-dang robot parts. And they are stealing all my hard-earned products. You see, I mine water, my good sir. Sir, person. So I said sword. Sword. (laughs) I mine water and I sell it to people who are in desperate need and these horrible youths are running amok and they are crime babies and they're just gonna take all my stuff and if you help me get rid of these horrible kids I will give you two parts water instead of one and Bubba and Finnick kind of like look at each other and they're like all right we'll check it out then so let's go and so Boba and Finnick go on a date with their lovely, sexy Gamorrean guards, and they head out to investigate. 
and they go walking the streets, and there's the mods, and they are a gang of youths that looks like they walked right out of the prequel Coruscant. And they're like, hello, children, how are you? Um, did you steal some water? And the mods are like, yeah, we did. And he's like, well, okay, well, that was very easy. Well, um, barely inconvenience. Uh, you know that's wrong, right? And they're like, you know what's wrong is that Steven Root price gouges all of our water. He is selling it for like a month's worth of wages when it really is like a few days worth of wages. And we can't work. There's no work for us because all you older crime bosses, and we know you're the new daimo, daimyo, we know you're the new leader guy, and we don't care because you're no better than the mayor, you're no better than the transdotions, you're no better than the pikes because all of you are so deeply entrenched in this place, there are no jobs for us. It's either work for one of you or live on the streets. So we are doing whatever we need to survive because you guys are keeping us from having an opportunity and there is no future in Moss Espa. And Bob was like, wow. Huh. Kind of looked at Finnick and Finnick's like, yeah. Huh. That is a pickle. And Bob was like, all right, well then I'll tell you what. Um, you Do you want to work for me? And the mods are like, really? And Steven Root kicks open the door because apparently he, he was listening and he's like, Really? What? No! Why? Arrest them! Kill them! They're bad! They take my money! And Boba's like, How much do you charge them for water? And he's like, I charged them 15,000 credit, 1,500, whatever. It was a, it's a really high number. And Boba's like, 1,500 credits? No wonder they're stealing from you. Well, here's 500. You're going to shut up. And lower your prices, because I'm the ruler, and I'm taking these babies under my wing, because I'm not putting it up with your bullshit anymore. And he looks at the kids, and he's like, alright kids, get your little scooter bikes, and we're going back to the palace, and we're going to start your new jobs. And the kids are like, awesome, thanks Uncle Boba. They jump on their little skitters, and they follow Finnick and, Sh uh, Finnick and Boba home like little cute kittens. What'd you think of Act 1? <laughs> Sort of. They were a little, they were still like a little bit like, are we going to die? <laughs> I have notes about that, but I will get to those notes in a later act. Okay. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, we, we both, it looks like we're, we're both ending our acts at the same, in the same spot. We'll see how that will easy get Chris. Um, I love, um, Jabba's roast, like he's got a roasting pit with a spit right behind his throne. So he could cook some nice barbecue while sitting on his throne and dispensing law. I like that. Um, um, it's funny. And when, and when Stephen Root comes in and is talking about him, about the mod gang, he, he totally, I mean, he uses a phrase, there are more machines than you know human and stuff yeah, like he's that trying, he's trying, it makes them sound like vicious like darth vader marauders and they're just a bunch of teenage doofs you know they're more like they're more out of an archie comic than like punk rock you know you know than than like like british mods and rockers who would like knock your teeth out so like it, it's it's real and we'll get to we'll get to that later too also in later acts but um also, uh, um, just so a minor note, 10 minutes, 
until we actually see the credits roll. That's a nice little, uh, little, I, uh, they almost startled me because I was just like, oh, right, they were coming. Right, Monty right. Python used to do that. <laughs> Monty Python would sit, you know, start the music at like three quarters of the way through the show. And you're like, oh, that's right. They didn't ever roll the credits. <laughs> Absolutely. Or they would roll the end credits five minutes in. <laughs> um, uh, we also find out um, that dank is actually the word shit. I I can't remember. We'll be in deep dank. I think is what they said. If the if if something happens or something like that. So so that makes me think. What does so what do, what is ferric shit something? Maybe a ferric is a sandwich. So it's like shit sandwich or something like that. I, you, oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Also, I'm noticing that the word poodoo seems to like poodoo is uh, like the language part of my brain gets. And I know like Hatties is already worked out at, but poodoo, they use poodoo as just like the word bad, you know, I, uh, I was trying to think I heard poodoo and then I was thinking, looking at the, the words. And I'm like, there's only one place that poodoo would fit in what she said and it would be you know that that's a you know bad thing it's so it's it's weird or maybe they i i just watched a video on this actually like uh, like in the last week so poodoo is actually bantha fodder and and it's it's specifically fodder um but in the context of the video um, this is uh, Star Wars Explained, Alex Damon, by the way. Um, he was talking about its uses in canon does not work that way because a yeah. few people just say just like poodoo and like as an explan- as an exclamation. So people don't just yell fodder. So it's probably no, but, but it, could, shit. it could be closer to be like pig slop or so. Ah, pig slop. You're <laughs> yeah. almost exactly. I think I think that was actually his exact example. Oh, really? But even I, then, he's like, it still you know doesn't quite work in this context. You know what? Hmm. I have. Let me see if let me see if I can find it real quick. And I don't see it. Well, shit. Never mind. I've 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 got the the I've got. Is this it here? Yes, I yes it is. It's a little small. The the Star Wars Galactic Phrase Book and Travel Guide, but it's written by Ben Burt, and Ben Burt is the one who Ooh. wrote every. He he he's in charge of the languages, so he really came up with the languages. And I don't see where I can just look up Poodoo. There's got to be a Hatties section. Oh, there's a there's a section for the for the uh, Tuscans in here in their language. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the first. Okay, survival in Hatties, page thirty one. Such a I'm I'm such a nerd. Where's Poodoo? Where is Poodoo? Come on. Oh, this came out in two thousand one. Okay, it's not as old as I thought it was. Yeah. Uh, uh, How yeah. to deal with Ewoks? <laughs> Jawas can be your friends. Sure, we know that now. Underwater with Gungans. 
These are great chapters. Okay, while you're looking, I'm going to read these chapters. Chapter 1, Greetings and Salutations. Chapter 2, Space Travel. Chapter 3, Survival and Hutsies. Chapter 4, How to Deal with Ewoks. Chapter 5, Communication with e with Wookiees. Chapter 6, The Basics when it comes to down to droids. J chapter 7, Jawas can be your friends. Chapter 8, Sand People are worse. Uh, that didn't age well. Chapter 9, Underwater with Gungans. Chapter 10, Exposing... exposing it does well, say exposing. Honestly, it says exposing do, you yourself. Have a better, better chance with the Jawas and the Sand People. And... I do. I, I I I thought I was misreading this because I thought it said expressing, but no, it says chapter ten, exposing yourself to Nymordians. <laughs> <laughs> chapter eleven. I I, I stopped. I I also I gave up on finding Pudu in it. It's 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 not. I I wish it was just a straight up dictionary, but it's not. Okay, okay, but I, I will say um, Star Wars Explained has a very short video on it, and the basic translation is is fodder, bantha fodder, but um, I don't think it has carried that over through time. Anyway, I have one. Fett. I have one last one last note, and it's all yours. This and this is my this is this is my uh, bombad Jedi. This is the first episode where we see the TV budget show up for the majority of the, the uh, for the whole show, even, even, you know, even his flashback is sort of low budget. And so you can tell, like, they really dumped a lot of the budget in the first two episodes and probably the Mandalorian episodes, for judging by the looks of them. And the other episodes are and leaving everything else to be sort of low budget Robert Rodriguez get it done episodes, which is going to annoy a lot of people. So I love it. <laughs> I love it. That's <laughs> filmmaking right there. You know, like this episode is packed full of practical effects and, and pulling, you know, there's, there's some computer stuff going on, but it's just sort of there. I, and I bet the budget was packed, was poured into the Rancor and the twins. Yes, that was it. That was That's it the for budget. this episode. Yeah, definitely not the chase scene, which is awesome. But I that we'll get to scene. that later. We'll get to that later. But that's all I got for act one. It, you know, it, I don't think I it was it in... jarring the first time. The second time I like all those elements and this is introducing them. So I'm like, let's go. Let's I, go. I will say, like, because I don't think I put it in my notes, um, the chase scene is not as slow as I remember it. Like, it, it's, and a lot of it is the ca camera work that makes it well, look fast. Well, well, we will, we, we will get into that too, but it, it is slow. Yeah. But it's but, not slow. Right, right. And I have notes on that too. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, as for my notes, I'm going to get my one tiny little note out of the way, because the rest of them are kind of sort of similar. I love that Matt Berry droid calls Finnick, quote unquote, Mistress Shand. Of course he does. Oh, my God. She's Boba's mistress. Oh. He's her mistress. No, he's her mistress. He's, <laughs> he's her mistress. mistress. <laughs> she's she's <laughs> She's his mistress, you know. He, it, she's his, you know. That he's the master and mistress. It does, it does uh, imply that they're together, but it just means that, like, yeah, she's boss. 
<laughs> I just thought that he's her mistress. Oh wait, no. <laughs> and it's it, yeah. I, I just got. I, I just. Uh, um. What what the hell is it called? Uh, I dyslexia that one. Yeah. Um. But like, it's funny because like, I, like Matt Berry, like his character in in uh, like uh, uh, what we do in the shadows, would be just like mistress. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're going to have to take me in the back and abuse me, mistress. I've been I've been a terrible protocol droid. I I love because I I'm usually so terrified of of this style of droid. Like it just hits all my squeak marks of like what like makes me like really squeak marks. Yeah, and it just all they, these kinds of droids always make me feel like really scared and terrified. Like they hit those like phobia it's... AI things, but because it's Matt Berry. And it sounds just like him. Like I yes. cannot, I cannot take it. I'm <laughs> you not can't scared hate of it. I can't un. Yeah, and I, I can't, can't stay mad it. at you, torture droid. <laughs> and I also can't unhear it. Like he just sounds yeah. so much like he just sounds like a drier version of his of Laszlo from what we do in the shadows. Yes. And it and it's and it's fun, especially just like the little things, like when Steven Root comes in. Um, and actually, I can't remember if it's this episode or the last episode, but one of the episodes, he was just like, and we will torture him. And Bob was like, no torture. And he's like, oh, OK. That was this episode. Yeah. Yeah. This is because, yeah, this is the first time Stephen Root shows up. So. Well, yeah, but I couldn't remember if it was the. It was, the assassin. One. it was this one. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was Stephen Root or the assassin. From last week, but somewhere along the lines, but it's just such a Matt Berry character. So I just I'm not scared of it. So there's a lot of things I really like about Boba's character in this opening act. Um, one was a very little thing. Um, it was actually about the the Matt Berry droid. Um, and it's when the Matt Berry droid calls Jabba something like he who must not be named. And Boba says, you don't you can say his name. You don't have to be a he, Jabba can't hurt you anymore. And. I, that's a really nice moment for him. And the reason I'm noting this, because I'm going to come back to this point later on too, but it's just little moments like that showing that Boba's growing his family, which is very much the point of this episode is he's expanding his family. He is, he is but he's just totally wrong on that one. The robot's just like, no, I was afraid you were going to hurt me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's also, but, but it's also showing compassion. He's also saying that's, that's not how we're going to run things. Right. And we see this again with Stephen Root. Um, not that he's compassionate towards Stephen Root. It's more along the lines of he's not buying what this man is saying. And he wants to investigate and get the whole story. Like, I feel like if Stephen Root would have came up to Jabba, Jabba was like, yeah, we'll go in there and we'll just kill those kids for you because they stole from you. And But here's Boba going, no, we're going to do something different. We're going to investigate and get their side of the story and get to the root of the problem. Java right. didn't get to the root of the problem. That is like the Stephen root of the problem. <laughs> oh. um, but that that shows very much like Boba is trying to change things. So I like those little things about his character, and they're they're always like in like little lines and stuff, and and, and within his actions. Um, but well, it's really nice. I, just I think they picked up that that root was just obviously like. I'm a manipulator, you know, every, everybody was mm -hmm. coming in and testing their limits and Boba Fett was doing a very, like, I do this sometimes to people, like I'll give people way too much rope because, but then I'm thinking, well, I get to see, you know, 
see what they do with that rope. It, it, and it could come back to haunt me. Like he's Boba Fett's doing, everybody's coming in and testing him and trying to manipulate him. And he's giving him a little bit of rope saying, you know, he's, he's doing a lot of things that are alarming to Fennec and the viewer going like, you know, this is, this is a sign of weakness, you know, you know, you're, you're not, you're not clamping, you know, you're, 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 you're letting things go. You're saying, um, uh, but he's just, but he knows that that will draw out, you know, that will, will, when, if people think they could take advantage of him, he'll find out the, he'll find out who the people who would, you know, and, uh, Especially because this is the first time we've seen, like, a normal citizen do it. And I think that really does hammer in the point yeah. that Stephen Root was going, like... Because I'm sure the word has gone around I, Tatooine that, like, oh, Boba Fett's not a real leader. And here he walks in and goes, yeah, no one respects you, dude. Well, that's that's like, why I don't think Stephen Root would have even got... Wouldn't even approach Jabba. He would have steered clear of Jabba. I think the fact that mm -hmm. he's there is he thinks he could get away with it, you know? And he's like, okay, I'm going to see, like, okay, maybe if this guy's a softie, he'll kill off this biker gang, you know, just for, you know, maybe I can get, maybe I can get rid of this problem by using this guy's weakness or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and, and also get a little sense of what's going on, you know, by going in and meeting him and, and stuff like that. But yeah. And, and, and Boba Fett made him seem like, you know, Boba Fett gave him a little bit of a like, oh, duh, I'm your Huckleberry, you know, a little bit. <laughs> and, and But like, let him go. And then it was just like, yeah, we got to see what's up with this because this guy's obviously full of shit. Mm -hmm. There's so much like good unspoken dialogue between Boba and Phoenix looks at each other. They're having entire conversations, and I love it because you can tell they're having entire conversations without saying anything. And I and I love those little looks. There's a beautiful little moment with Stephen Root, which is why guys like character actors like this, like always turn up a lot because they're you know they're a character, but there's they're they just throw in little touches like when he has the you know line of like, actually, did you know that that tattooing had was covered with water it's fascinating and he does this thing where he sort of licks his lips uh like in the way of some somebody who's about to just start like you know give this rehearsed story and it's just this totally not and then they cut him off and they're just like yeah not interested let's talk about this and it's just little things like that that like you don't always pick up on you know uh, you know i pick up on on the second viewing of it that like make it all the more fun you know mm -hmm. i'm i'm enjoying having all these character actors thrown in into this to get to to do chew up the scenery in all over the place mm -hmm. and the only other note i have is my one of many notes about the mods but i just want to talk about their introduction at the moment um i like this kind of idea of like tatooine's counterculture and it's new for Tatooine for sure, but we don't often get a world with a lot of counterculture. And because like, yeah, we have Coruscant, but really it's who lives on the top levels versus who lives in the lower levels. So it's not really a counterculture. It's a social right. class thing. 
but I think this is a really neat idea. And I would love to see this. Like, it makes me want to see, like, what does a Twilight counterculture look like? What are the Pantoran well, well, they're saying like? they're saying they all look the same. They're saying that teenagers are teenagers all over the galaxy. Like, I mean, the the, the only thing that isn't and and it, it it might be just a you know just economy of storytelling we don't know about them but or maybe it'll even turn up in season two but they should have there should they should have a rival gang you know that are you know because like i mean the mods the mods in quadrophenia and britain had the rockers that were that you know that they they were opposed to you know the rockers were more punk rocky rock guys and the and the mods were more like dress up and be more fashion and glam oriented and these guys are off, uh, obviously fashion and glam oriented in a in a in a you know star wars sort of way where they actually modify their bodies but they also have you know they're in their dress and their you know and in their scooters and stuff like that so there should be there should be a dirty scummy bad boy and girl maybe uh, that's supposed to be the swoop gang Maybe, maybe it is a swoop gang, but though they they seem more like marauder pirates who just like, oh well, let's let's work on this planet for a while and see what we can get here, you know, and and then move on. But but yeah, maybe maybe, but I I, I picture them as another group of teenagers too, you know. Yeah, I don't know, but you know, there's always season two, so mm-hmm. I hope but- so. People will hate it. I'll love it. I'll love it, guys. Yeah, I, I just think it's a cool concept because it's kind of this idea that we haven't really seen in Star Wars before. Um, and I also like how it presents a very real world example to Star World to Star Wars because this is very much a new generation clashing with the older generation kind of story because they're just as much as the victims as anybody else that Boba is ruling. Um, they are just trying to survive, which is why they steal. And I love their explanation because there is no work for them. Yeah, they live in the work district, but there's no work because Tatooine is so corrupt that they can't get jobs. And the older generation being the crime bosses are so deeply entrenched that there are no prospects for young people. And like, I really felt that as a millennial. <laughs> because and as a young person, there's nothing to fucking do on a tattooing. You know, yeah. they are rural. That, that That's rural youth pack into gangs and stuff because I, it actually, what the hell are you going to do? Space bowl every night? It actually reminded me of um, my, my, my friend Billy, uh, my best friend Billy, used to live in Kansas, and she was like, there was nothing, so the kids would just hang out at the Quick Trip. I mean, that was their the, only place to hang out. If this wasn't Disney family Star Wars, they'd be smoking death sticks and, and stuff like, you know, and drinking space water, space fire water and stuff, you know. That I mean, yeah. But, well, like, I definitely felt that, because I know when, like, my my generation was, like, coming out of school and stuff like that, and even now... It's really, it's still very hard for my generation to get like long term careers because all we can really get is gig work because the generation before us are still like so deeply entrenched in their jobs that they're succeeding, but it's left the the following generation like without a lot of prospects. And it's even, it's starting to get even worse for the people behind me. And so, like, this felt like just a kind of a very timely story because I'm living it. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I just, I like all the ideas around the mods. I think they're really cool. And I think it also says a lot about Tatooine and also shows how deep the corruption is because 
they live in the work district and there's no work, which is, I think, part of the reason why Boba is like, okay, this is eye-opening because I'm really starting to see the daily problems. It's not just fights between crime lords. These fights between crime lords are actually affecting the people I'm supposed to be ruling, and that's a problem. So it's good for Boba's character, too, to see it. Also, I will say this a few times. Uh, they just feel so prequels. This is such a prequel thing. Like, these kids feel like they would fit in on Coruscant. More, in I Phantom want more Venice. of that. I want more of that. Yeah, they just feel like they could walk by Anakin and Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones. Or, like, drive by on their little scooters and they would fit right in. Like, they're such a prequel trope. And I love it. That not to change the subject. Well, not. Really oh, I'm done. So change the subject, the subject. Not to change it to Andor, but like, it's funny because I mean I think there's definitely an of like they're like pick and choose their points to like, God forbid they would use any music, use Duel of the Fates, you know, and stuff like that, which would be, you know, uh, but they just don't want to use that music. I uh, people, even the people who hate the prequels, still at least love the John Williams music or whatever. But they're so, and in Andor, I was like, "Ooh, we're gonna get Coruscant," and it's like that's at least gonna get you know, get us a little bit of prequel feel and the the you know the change in you know whatever change in vibe there is in Coruscant. And instead, they film film it like mostly lower levels in, in in a very like you know original trilogy style and it's just like oh come on please just have Coruscant you know just let us let the let the prequels people like it people like it mm-hmm. people as in me I like it I like it I, I'm people hope and I are people between Book of Bubba Fett and Kenobi I feel like the prequel fans really got to feast very well <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but that's all I have for Act One. Do you have anything else? I do not. So, Act Two? Act Two. So, Boba is taking a nap, which means it's time for a flashback. Flashback music. So, we start the flashback and we very briefly see Camino, like, a glimpse of young Bobo just being like, Dad, come back! And then we go to the Tuscans! It's time for everyone's favorite episode of Keeping Up with the Tuscans. Um, and Boba has been living with them. He is fully a member now. I know there's some confusion with the timeline. Like, did he live here for five years? Because apparently five years have passed, but we don't actually know. And I don't know. And who, who knows how long he's been with the Tuscans? But it doesn't matter. Um, because very soon, it's not going to matter, sadly. Um, and he decides to set off across the sta- sands on his bantha because he has a bantha now and it's very cute. So he moseys for a while and he shows up in Moss, whatever. And he is going around town looking for the pikes. And none of this matters because in the background, for a brief second, we get a glimpse of the best character ever, Pelimoto walking around in the background with her pit droids living her best life and i love pelly and i scream every i forgot she was in this cameo because like i remember she comes in later in the show but when i saw pelly in the background i was like there's my girl ah! <laughs> there she is i love pelly anyway anywho boba finds the pikes and he shows up and he's like hello door person can i come in and talk with the pikes and the pikes are like sure come in so he comes in and the pikes are like hello 
welcome to our crime lair. And Bill was like, thank you. So um, I assume that you got my message. What'd you think? And the Pikes are like, yeah, thanks for not killing any of our people, except for the ones you killed to get the train. But thanks for returning the rest of them. Not too happy about you dumping all the spice, but whatever. What can we do for you today? And Pope was like, well, you know, I'm here to collect for the Tuscans. I, I said that you pay them dues and tolls to like cross their lands and stuff because they own all of this. He says, motioning to the planet. And the Pikes are like, yeah, so about that. Um, we actually already pay money to the Swoop Gang. So we don't want to pay money to both of you. And the Tuscans are on their territory. And Bob was like, how the hell are the Tuscans on their territory? They own this. And he again motions to the entire planet. This is theirs, dude. And the Pikes are like, fine, I'll tell you what. If you want to settle this with the Swoop Gang and figure it out yourself, we will go with whichever one of you. But we're going to be neutral, so you have to figure it out with them. And Bob was like, ugh, fine, we'll go deal with them. But I need to go talk to the Tuscans first. So he leaves and he gets on his beautiful Bantha Boy. And he rides back out into the sands. And just as he's getting back, <sighs> Hope hates this part. So he gets back and he finds that all his wonderful Tuscan family have been slaughtered and they are all dead from the children to the women to the chieftain. And they are all killed in the name of Manpain. And it's as Boba is walking through the carnage, he sees the Swoop Gang sign on one of the tents. Hint, hint, it's not the Swoop Gang. Hint, hint, for future episodes. And very solemnly, Boba gathers all the bodies, the bodies of the men, women, and children, and he burns them. And then he gets on his Bantha, and he rides off into the sunset. But oh no, there's a Wookiee! <laughs> There's a hot Wookiee, and it suddenly appears, and it's Black Chrysanthemum, and Boba is, like, woken up from his nappy nap because Black Chrysanthemum's trying to kill him, and Boba's like, oh, you're hot, and, and Black Chrysanthemum's like, I know, but I'm here to kill you, dude, and they start battling it out, and Boba is very thoroughly getting his ass handed to him because Black Chrysanthemum is as strong as he is sexy. And he is about to die because Boba's getting a big old bear hug from a Wookiee. But then the mods show up and they're like, hi, boss, we're here to save you. And Boba's like, please save me, I'm dying. And so the mods then fight the Wookiee. The Black Crescenton's an ex-gladiator and he's taking them on very well until the Gamorians run in. And between the mods and the Gamorians, Black Chrysanthemum's getting a little bit outnumbered, so he's like, I should go. So he goes down the stairs, and he's still fighting the Gamorreans and the mods, and he gets into the throne room, and he gets and he stands over like a certain spot in the floor, and Phoenix slides in, and she's like, hey, what's up? And she pushes a button, and she drops Black Chrysanthemum in the Rancor pit. She's like, I got ya. You're ours now, buddy. And she closes the gate, and the, the Gamorians are just like, Ow, we got bit. And Boba's like, get him to a back to tank. And he looks over at his girlfriend, and Finnick gives him a look. Not just any look. She turns her head, and she looks at him, and it's a boyfriend. We need to have a talk look. What'd you think of Act 2? I had no idea. 
This this way this act was weird. I wasn't sure where to cut it, but Jesus I cut Christ it. Christ hope there's so many people with earbuds who just almost jumped out of their skin. Well, that's how this. Se- I actually I have know. that as a note. I like because I always forget that that's coming because it's such a and I, I'm gonna say jarring, but I mean jarring in a very good way. It always scares the crap out of me because like you're having this very somber moment. The music's beautiful. It's all sad, and then suddenly fucking Wookie like like rips you out of it. Like it's. <laughs> That's how it is in the episode, and I, I mean jarring in the best way possible because it's really great. It makes me jump, and also that Wookie's very hot and beefy. Anyway, what are your notes? You um, talk first, now. First note is uh, Boba gets his uh, lady garden destroyed. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. No, thank Emma for pink milk for saying that and putting it in my brain. It's in both of our brains now. Thank you very much. Um, I would sleep like a baby on Camino. That sh- short little shot they keep repeating of Camino is so beautiful. So, so beautifully rendered and like deep, dark, rich. It, like, I wish they would just make a looping screensaver of. I wish. <coughs> <coughs> I could live in a room where I just turn out um, my nightlight is just screens all around me that just look like Camino having a storm outside my space window. Oh my God. That's so beautiful. It would, uh, I would, that would put me to sleep like a little baby every night. I would just like look out the window and go, look at the rushing waves. Um, I mean, I would too. I actually have like an ocean wave YouTube channel that just plays it 24 seven and um i just listen to it when i just am working in the background i want background noise and it's so relaxing so yeah i would sleep like a baby too i just i love the way it looks too it's just the the way the the deep blueness of the ocean at night and even during the day it's always overcast there and just like this rich blue with like just a little foam it's just oh it's gorgeous um i love that and this is where we're getting into Robert Rodriguez and like okay we don't have much money but that there's uh, there's only a few scenes of CG Bantha in this all the Banthas in this for the a lot of the Bantha stuff in this is a practical Bantha where you can mm-hmm. tell the CG Banthas because you can see their legs and feet walking and it's usually a shot from the sky or something like that but like when he's gonna, it's just it's just a big old suit with people underneath. Like, okay, make it walk like a bantha, you know, with puppeteers underneath walking to make mm-hmm. it go forward, and it looks great, you know, because it worked in Star Wars. And they take it a little further in this, you know, they they push it a little further, and it looks great. You don't even think about it, you know. I didn't I didn't even think about it till the second time watching it when I'm. Um, my only other note is about is. I'm sure you'll talk more about this topic than I will, but I'll, I'm sure I'll add into it is the whole, the whole Tuscan thing. It like, it actually worked a little better for me the second time, but that scene is very short and it's weird because it's like, you know, there's that moment of like where he's like burning the bodies and it's just like, that's a really small pile. And I'm like, did he make several piles? And this was just like, the pile of the ones that were really important to him or something like that it, or you know or whatever but like 
and and I think it benefits from being boom right out into him getting the shit beat out of him because thematically yeah like emotionally he's getting the shit beat out of him and then all of a sudden he wakes up to a Wookiee mauling him uh, (laughs) yeah it's 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 really well done and like I like I said last time I'm not I don't I'm not as upset about them killing off all the Tuscans as uh, for as much as it not being something that like I mean that should have been almost crippling to him because he was like like you could tell it's like he was like I am the new Boba Fett out of the the I'm I'm going to try to be like like work with with some sort of ethics you know and empathy you know in my even though I can still I'm still allowed to just like maim and kill with it the you know the right time comes but you know he's going through his like 70s kung fu tv show moment you know of of transformation and stuff and you know and and then finds it you know reborn finds a new family and then gets them killed you know with with a bit of hubris you know from you know even with all that newfound stuff he's still got hubris and it's a lesson to be learned and it's a hard lesson which you got to learn if you're going to rule a planet but at the same time i think it should have hit him harder it does he doesn't he 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 never articulates it or acts like he feels like you know he's like i basically i'm responsible for their death you know so that's so interesting for the article i have because tomorrow morris had talked about that too oh sort of sort of well i know he's a big method actor i know he's a very like you know, like he, like he had trouble. When you see outtakes and stuff, and him just hanging around with people on the set, he has a hard time taking it seriously. You know, yeah. Like he did, he did once. We're warriors, and that role, like getting into that role, must have been like you know a couple years therapy afterwards. You know, to you know to deal to to, to deal with where he went in that role. You know, and it's like. You know, and then going into Star, but he's having fun with it. You know, he's and he's and you can tell he wants you like if you see outtakes of him when they did episode two, he was going nuts because he really had nothing to work. You know, he was just a line reading robot in that movie. That's all he had to do. He didn't have, you know, the the one scene when he gets with Obi-Wan Kenobi's got a little bit of tension and is well done cuz you got you and McGregor and him, you know, feeling each other out, but it's not super well written and it's, you know, it's it's good in the context of those movies, but he did he had nothing to chew on and you could tell he was kind of frustrated like, "Oh, I finally got a Star Wars movie and I'm just sort of going to be like, you know, a guy in a suit, you know." So, but that's sort of what happens a lot of times in, mm-hmm. in stuff like that. But yeah, I, that's all I that's all I got for Act Two. Um, I'm gonna get my small notes out of the way. Um, in big yeah. letters, I have written Pelly, my girl. <laughs> I just I love seeing Pelly. Um, I I love that that they have that in there because it just sort of puts a time frame on it because you you know that was a specific shoot that was a specific thing she was doing in one of the mandalorian episodes 
Uh-huh. And, and you see it and you go like, oh, okay, now I know exactly where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, also, to add on to that, um, because it is in the Mandalorian episode, I love the shot of the guy putting the Stormtrooper helmet on spikes because it does help set, yes. um, like, this is how they got there for the Mandalorian. Um, it's also just a cool-looking scene, so. Um, I, I'm going to... Where is it? Um... Before I go in on the Tuscan scene, um, I will say the music is insanely good. Yes, it's so good, um, and it's shot it's shot very well. And so I will absolutely give them props there. Um, but the the music is great in that scene. Um, no, to go straight through, I like the choice of having Boba having Camino flashbacks in this one. Because when he has the flashback scenes, he doesn't always see Camino. But unlike the straightforward flashbacks of the Tuscans, the Camino ones of him as a child are more dreamlike. You know, they're they're more slow motion. They're a little bit surreal. Um, and I like these ones, especially in this episode, because it's more thematic versus just telling the narrative with the Tuscans. Because young Boba watching his dad leave, that's was his only family that he had at that age. In this episode, Boba is extending his family. It's growing. He's getting more people in his life. So it does feel thematic of showing him losing his family as a child versus now as an adult, he's gaining family. So I do like that it's in this episode because it does feel very thematic. All right. Let's talk about Tuscans. Um, I decided to do this in two ways. Um, after talking last week, I did some research and I found an article from Inverse. And the writer, oh shit, I've, the writer is, what's your name? Um, Dias Johnston. And this person interviewed several indigenous people to talk about uh, the Tuscans in not just Book of Boba Fett, but Mandalorian. Um, in, in the original trilogy, their betrayals. And I like this because, as we said last week, Chris and I, neither of us are Native Americans. Um, so I wanted to find this perspective. Um, I'm not going to read the entire article, but I'm going to read the back end of it because it does cover kind of the thoughts on this and get into the Mandalorian Book of Boba Fett and also the killing of the Tuscans. Um, just to give one perspective that's not ours, and then I'll give my thoughts on it. Does that sound cool? Sure. All right, so this is from Inverse. And I'm going to do my very best on these indigenous names. I'm sorry if I butcher them, but I'm going to do my very best. There's always people that'll say, there's no race in space. Longtime Greedo fan Nizoni Begay says, these people don't understand race, and they shouldn't affect, and, and race these people don't understand race and race shouldn't affect their story because they have no context to what what race means for us. Racial tropes have been present in the franchise since its earliest days, especially when it comes to the Tuscans. Many uh, early iterations of the Tuscans bore a much closer resemblance to the Bedonan nomadic Middle Eastern peoples than to the American, indi- American that indigenous That was the word people. I was looking at. Bed- Bedouin. Bedouin. Yeah. That was, uh, that was, I was looking for that word last week. Um, than they do to American indigenous people. Ali Nadi and Anishi 
a Nishi Nabe Star Wars fan, described seeing this resemblance up close at a special event at Detroit Institute Arts featuring the original Star Wars costumes. She says, The design of the Tuscan women were very Burka-esque. The curators even had a plaque saying, We realize now that this was probably kind of a, a, probably kind of racial stereotyping and probably not the best design ideas. Uh, today, there is plenty of evidence of an indigenous uh, parallels in the franchise. The shawls worn by the redesigned Tuscans in The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett reference the traditional Navajo clothing. And a ritual involving the hallucinogenic lizard is reminiscent of the Vision Quest tradition in many tribes. So while the Tuscans are literally indigenous to Tatooine, their appearance in Star Wars is informed by various indigenous cultures subject to stereotypes. First, the... Say it again. Bedonans? Bedouin, you just said the word. Bedouins. Bedouins. Um, first the Bedouins and now indigenous people. Still, many friends deny the need for race in Star Wars, even while sometimes demonstrating the exact problem Lucasfilm hasn't strived to correct. This kind of rhetoric is present in the backlash against the Mandalorian portraying the Mando portray, portrayal of Mando negotiating with Tuscans, with one fan claiming the Sand People have always been known to be violent denizens of Tatooines, not the noble American Indians from Dances with Wolves. This statement both uh, situates the Tuscans, who are just trying to defend their land within the violent savages trope, while implicitly acknowledging and celebrating the noble savage trope. Both the newer series in the franchise, though, expanded on the humanity of the Tuscans, even though they can be seen reverting to tropes that are recognizable to white viewers, even when their reality is more complex. Every indigenous person interviewed for the story expressed frustration at the non-indigenous fans who called the Book of Boba Fett a white savior story. White savior stories are everywhere in American media, from Dances with Wolves to The Last of the Mohicans to Avatar the District 9. These stories all, uh, all other, otherize a white person to encourage empathy for white viewers. But why the frustration in, situation, in situating it in that genre? Boba Fett is, after all, an outsider who is initiated into Tusc in, as a Tuscan raider. For, well, first of all, Boba Fett isn't white. Tamora Morrison, who portrays the character, is Maori descent. I was just going to say that. I was just thinking that going like, come on, the guy's part Maori, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or I um, think he's completely Maori. I, ooh, I think you're right, but I'm not going to say that for sure. Yeah, I don't I'm, know not sure, I'm not sure on that either, but I think he is. Yeah. Tamora Morrison, who portrays the character, is of Maori descent. And since he's not white, he can't be a white savior. Uh, for Navajo Star Wars fan Aubrey O, who requested anonymy for privacy reasons, by taking the trope and putting an indigenous person at the center of it, Book of Boba Fett turns the whole idea inside out. She says, it's playing with the white savior trope, but it's supposed to undermine it by having a native man in that place. And therefore, it can't be ch it, that and therefore it can be changed and is useful. Ali Nadi agrees, saying at this point, it's less savior and more uh, solidarity. Navajo Star Wars fan owned. I, I did want to skip one point. All right. Uh, it was not this part. Um, Navajo Star Wars fan Mona Lowing points to one scene that reveals just how respectful Boba is of his adopted family and their traditions. When Boba notices how blaster fire from a pike train is hitting the village, this would be last week's episode, he doesn't take it upon himself to solve the problem. He goes up to the village elder and says, I will do something. I am asking permission from you. If you give me a rifle, if you give me a gappy stick, I'll do what I know how to do. I'll do what I can. If you let me, I would like your permission to do it. 
Non-Indigenous fans were quick to point out the out supposed flaws in this portrayal, to point out where Native fans found the criticism counterproductive. Non-Native people get mad on the behalf of Natives before they speak, says Aubrey. I saw a few white people saying that Boba Fett was a white savior, so they thought it was damaging and didn't like it. For Aubrey, the real white saviors uh, were within the fandom. It's fine to be critical about ever- anything you look at or consume, but if you're looking for a problem, especially in regards to race, and make it about you, that becomes another problem. Uh, let's see, was this the part I wanted to... Yeah, okay. Sorry, skipping ahead. Um, in the book of Boba Fett, the Tuscans weren't used to, uh, also weren't used as random antagonists for the protagonist or the dragon fodder. They were Boba's saviors and eventual family. While this seemed like a completely arbitrary plot choice, we learn in season two of The Mandalorian, Boba's fat Django was adopted into Mandalorian culture, just like Mando. Uh, Jaster uh, Merrill took Django Fett and The Mandalorians and said, you're one of us. Navajo Star Wars fan Mona Longling tells Inverse. She explains that in her community, people born into different family groups are still defined as family. In my tribe, I am big water. That is who I am. That is my mother. That is her mother. That's all my brothers and sisters, uh, Lowing says. Our family belongs to this clan, and we have four clans, but each one of those clans relates back to your family. After escaping the Sarlacc pit, Boba Fett is enslaved by the Tuscan Raiders. He quickly earns their respects, and makes, and they make him part of the tribe. In episode three, Boba leaves on a journey to Mos Espa to negotiate with a crime syndicate called the Pikes, and he returns. His entire adopted family has been slaughtered. So now we're into this week. In a harsh moment for Boba Fett and for the indigenous fans watching, it led to a dilemma in the fandom. Was the slaughter of Boba's adopted Tuscan family appropriate representation because it showed the true trauma the indigenous people face at the hands of colonizers, or was it gratuitous bloodshed written only to fuel protagonist motivations? Many Before many indigenous fans even watched the episode, they were aware of what would happen as trigger warnings circulated on, tr- on Twitter and many fans expressed frustration at the plot choice. However, fans were not, universally, were not universal in their reactions to it. For Niz- Nizoni Bengay, the issue wasn't the choice to wipe out the Tuscan tribe, but how the show approached it. I was very emotional watching him come back and find his entire family slaughtered. I wanted to sit and be and sit in the sadness for a bit longer. The gay is not alone. At the Television Choice Awards, um, Tamor Morrison expressed a similar sentiment, saying he wished he could put more ceremony into the ritual burning of the Tuscan bodies. That was the part I was talking about. For Navajo fan Moa Longing, the scene resonated deeply despite being disturbing. The only thing I thought of was the uh, Lakota experience in the Sand Creek Massacre, where a group of U.S. soldiers just showed up to a village that had nothing but elderly women and children, and they attacked and burned them, Lawing says. But for other fans, murdering the Tuscan tribe was an example of fridging, a term that originated in comics and refers to the practice of harming a minor character in order to motivate the protagonist. It was a mistake to end the Tuscan tale so abruptly in the season. Tioe Sante's Thomas Deere says... There was a lot of potential to delve deeper into Tuscan culture and have them play a more pivotal role in Boba Fett's respectful, almost benevolent rule over Mos Espa. By cutting the screen time, he says, Book of Boba Fett passed up an opportunity to show more of the Tuscan culture and utilize them solely as plot device once more. 
Um, while there are good parts of Book of Boba Fett's in indigenous representation, such as the Navajo-like elements of the costuming, Native fans believe there is still more work that can be done. Hiring indigenous writers would be a huge first step, they say. If the minds behind Star Wars want to include indigenous stories, they should bring indigenous talent into the room. Um, they note that the franchise is not entirely devoid of writing of writing creatives from indigenous communities. Taika Waititi, the voice of IG-11 and director of the Mandalorian season one finale, is also of Maori descent. But even if there isn't an indigenous person on staff, research can, more research can be done to make sure any racially coded scenes are portrayed in an accurate and respectful manner rather than a throwaway plot. And for fans and creators alike, the best way to acknowledge the indigenous parallels within the Tuscans is for people to listen to indigenous people. Um, and then it's just closing it out. So yeah. Um, uh, okay. So, so then the rest is just like, yes, and hire more people. That That's the end of it. So I thought that was interesting because I remember when this episode came out, seeing very, very just viscerally bad reactions from native people that I follow, like Jordan Mason. And they were just like, flat out pissed but one of these points i think it was thomas's yeah it was thomas's is exactly where i feel on this now so did you do, do you have any thoughts on reading that or can i get into my side of things um uh, my only thought is you're you're never gonna get someplace like disney and especially just judging by past you know, just past <laughs> experience of how Disney operates. You'll, you'll never get them to go like, we have to hire like a group of indigenous people to make sure when we do something that's coded as indigenous or, you know, whatever, because they don't, they won't ever want to nail themselves down as that's what they're doing. You know, they, they always want to leave open it's it's just space they're the tuscans from you know because they're afraid you know they would be afraid that if they do then that means that at some point they could lose it's disney they don't want it they you know they're you know they they want control of all their characters and everything and if they explicitly uh, you know say that they're doing that and or you know say it or just say it by hiring people to actually be consultants of that then they would be like afraid that you know all of a sudden they would every time they write tuscan raiders they're gonna have to clear it with the indigenous community and and all of a sudden it might you know they might not be able to do they want to be able to do it whatever they want you know they want to they want to do whatever they want with it but they don't want to get in trouble with it so they want to do the least that they can do <laughs> without without uh, you, the, the the most amount of damage control without ceding any kind of any kind of control you know what i mean i don't disagree i yeah i totally agree with that um i as you were talking um they especially because i i just published a big animation article talking about the inner works of Disney in comparison and, and what it all means for Lucasfilm animation. Um, and one of the things I brought up in my research was how it's not all the execs 
there are old oh. school executives versus new school executives. There's so and, many executives that, that you've got to have a little bit of everything going on there, you know? Especially the executives that hold powers with stockholders. Um, right. And so what's... That's it, where that's where that that's where that's the important ones too, you know. Yeah, and they're the ones that really get to say. So those are the ones that probably I, I would I would actually argue there are probably plenty of new executives that are like, yes, we do want these like creative decisions and like we want to have every time we use toxins to check with the indigenous people and like to have those resources. But it's the old school old guard people that are guarding them. And um hell, just to make another example. Turning Red, the Pixar movie that came out earlier this year, it was the first female director of Pixar, and her entire creative team was female, and that was a big first in 2020, 2022, fucking 2022. It took like 20 years to do it in Pixar's history, and like it, that's a that's a crazy thought that we're just now getting it, and why hasn't happened sooner? Because you have this old guard gatekeeping, um, so it's going to take more time. But I do. In that vein of your argument or or of of your your words, um, I agree, and I think the more we get stuff like this, the more those people get pushed out, and the more the needle will move. Well, um, you know, I mean, I, I mean, I'm 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 the old cynic. I don't like. I don't think. I think there's people who have like um, philosophical ideas about like I I would like of you know, or, um, polit political leanings and, and thoughts about, you know, and, and are, you know, invested in all different kinds of things. But once you get up to that stockholders thing, it just turns into, if you want to do anything, ideological is the word I was looking for. If you want to do anything ideological, you have to be able to like figure out how and that's the thing is like the gatekeepers don't even might not even think they're being ideological. They just say there's no way that would make money, but that's because they're they're old, you know, they're old. They're they're thinking that it's 1992 or whatever, you know. They're they're still in that mode, but they don't, they just unconsciously are like that would never make money, and it's like the slow process that's been going on and i mean people are freaking out even at the slow process happening of you know just a, a a representation of what's in society showing up in movies and tv you know so it's just like this grindingly slow thing yeah it's yeah but like I mean, just just to give another example of like these big wig stockholders having so much power. Um, the, the, if you haven't heard anything about the HBO Warner Brothers Discovery merger, it's a fucking shit show. Um, I definitely like that was a big part of why I wrote the animation article because it's a big fucking shit yeah. show. And another thing just earlier today at the time of recording this on October 11th. Um, part of the merger that just happened is Warner Brothers shut down their writer's director workshop and stage 13 unit. That was a process that they created to let diversity and people of color work in their system. And it's a huge setback for representation because David Zazoff or whatever the fuck his name is, is trying to like cut costs. And he was like, mm, let's throw out the diversity first along with all the cartoons. And that's just an example of these like gatekeeping big wigs 
doing shit like this because they are trying to save money and they throw out anything that they don't think will make money. And there's this mindset that only like white viewers matter, I guess. <laughs> like it's such bullshit. I, 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 yeah, it's, it's like, it's like a, it's like an ambient, like, uh, unconscious mindset it's it's glaringly obvious to it's you know it's just like any any when you, that 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 old entrenched thinking that people have they don't even know that they're thinking that way they're just like no you know i mean yeah 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 of course you'd want to do this but you know that you know we don't you know we're gonna we're gonna shoot ourselves in the foot because how we could ever ever hope to reach anything unless we like stay solvent and also you know if if you decide if you decide you want to start doing that and you and you start losing money on movies the stockholders will just boot you out of their job and find somebody exactly. who'll, who I mean, will make money so it's just like yeah like that's part of the reason why like why black panther had to be immaculate it had, to, but in turn, any other movie that comes after P Black Panther is always going to be compared to it because it became a, a monolith and it's not. It shouldn't have to be a monolith because we should just have movies like Black Panther. So they have the ability to be like on the spectrum between like immaculate and horrible, but we don't have that. And same thing like with queer representation. Um, you have something like The Owl House, which is this pristine show that's historic and has won multiple awards, and Disney is slapping it down for season three because it doesn't fit their little perfect brand. But because we have such little, such few movies of representation that it all has to be stellar at the gate, cannot what? stumble, and it has to be perfect. Or, uh, else, or else, or else, hold on, or else the uh, stockholders be like, mm, no, we're not going to do that because my, it's not perfect. And we want to build monoliths instead of having a spectrum of things that on, on the scale between like good and bad. It's funny you say that because my I was just thinking about the second time I watched Black Panther. The first time I watched Black Panther, I'm I, I love the idea of Wakanda. OK, I that's my sucker thing for that movie. That's why I wanted to see this movie, because I love the idea of a fucking high technology hidden civilization, you know, just like hanging out on Earth and, you know, like with laser laser <laughs> holograms hiding them from the world or whatever. I fucking love it. And and I, it sucked me right into the, the whole story. And I was like, yeah, that was a really fun movie. Uh, the second viewing of it like this like there's like i i thought to myself holy shit this movie could have fucking gone totally south if people didn't go see it because like it had a there's a lot of like w like pacing problems in it and that like the cg at the end is like almost like like so hurried it's almost laughable you know at points and like you've had these characters that have been like portrayed like as like very realistic human beings and then the end there's like a video game fight and stuff and it didn't it didn't hold up to a second viewing but i was like but that just shows that's people wanted to see that you know and they and it, it like and i didn't think it was a bad movie but i thought it wasn't like it doesn't stand out as one of the great the greater better marvel movies it's a good marvel movie you know like it's the normal good they pulled off what they wanted to pull off um and and all that but it was a monster hit like 
it made so much money that like boom you're you you don't have to say say no more to the stockholders you know they're just like oh black panther okay you know now black panther is on the list but uh, my second viewing i was like ooh it might not a, this could have been a setback <laughs> and uh, yeah that's yeah that's that if, if black panther was a flop we would not be getting yeah. diversity we, marvel movies we would be we getting get. black panther 2 we might be getting black panther 2 but probably not not we unless they had get, some like, sort of greater context reason for having black panther 2 but yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of other, there's a lot of other, you know, there's a lot of ambient other stuff going on with Black Panther, but that doesn't really have anything to do with what we're talking about. But yeah. Anyway, so my thoughts on the Tuscans to bring this yes. back. Yes. Um, <laughs> but thank you for everyone indulging with me because I did want to give another perspective that wasn't me and Chris as to white people talking about addition that we stuff. can't give. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And also thank you for Inverse for writing that article. Well, we uh, also we also started it out last episode by talking a lot of shit too, and we're like, okay, white people, I guess we gotta like see what actual Native Americans say about yeah, this. Yeah, because um, because my thoughts are actually very close to to some of these, um, but I will talk about structure first. The structure of the story, I understand the context here, um, and why it's here and what it's doing for Bubba's character. I talked a lot about that last week, um, and. For this week, we know that this is what causes him to go seek out his armor, which is why he shows up in Mandalorian, because he wants it for revenge, not honor. And we find out that it's a fool's errand in the end because he kills the very people in cold blood, being the swoop gang, and they weren't even responsible for it. So it is a fool's errand, and it is a moment for Boba to test his armor when it turns out it was Cad Bane and the Pikes the entire time even though it's all set up for, you know, Boba takes the pikes and then sends them away and then goes to the pikes. And he's like, hey, I killed your dudes. What's up? Like, <laughs> part of me is just like, Boba, why did you think it was anything but this? <laughs> but, to, but like, structurally wise, I understand it. Emotionally, though, I I hate it. Like, I hate everything about it. Um, because when I, when I say lazy writing, I don't mean that as it's bad. I mean it as it's a missed opportunity to do something groundbreaking. It is using tropes we've seen before. Um, I very much agree with the idea of of fridging. Um, that re did resonate with me. Because it would have been so groundbreaking to have the Tuscans live and then show up in the final battle of the series. You already have these actors. You already have these costumes. Let them show up in the final battle of the series and also fight for Tatooine. And it would also start forming a peace between the people of the city and the Tuscans. Like, that would be so fucking groundbreaking. I would have I, I would have preferred a story where maybe they he had him help him out a couple times in the after a while. They're like, look, the Tuscans aren't your army, you know? And, you know, and then, then like, there could have been that lar this larger storyline of him eventually and like you know they already had talk of like there's different tuscans that are different than us and stuff and like him being the leader of tattooing and and doing it by like uniting and you know uniting and congealing the 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 tuscans and eventually you know thinking to himself ah, someday like you know i'll leave this leave tattooing to the tuscans you know and by and i'll you know 
I will build them in power. And by the time I don't want to be a Dymo anymore, or I die, you know, or I die and get unseated, you know, the Tuscans will be able to hold tattooing forever. You know, that yeah. would have been a neat, but he could still do that. You know, he could still do that. And, you know, we didn't see everybody that, you know, there could still be somebody from his tribe alive or did, he doesn't even and need the tribe. He knows some Tuscan. He's he's officially a Tuscan, pretty much. He was sort of born into them, reborn into them, so that could still happen, you know. And but and there's it would also, have been a lot smoother, if, <laughs> especially for like two things, because like one, um, we know from last week's episode that this is not the only Tuscan tribe. Like there's multiple tribes, and we also and for the second thing, this was would also build very nicely on what they were doing in the Mandalorian. Because the first episode of season two, Den helps negotiate between a different Tuscan tribe and the members of Freetown. And they come together and they they start forming a peace to, to be like, hey, well, let's make an agreement where if we help you kill the crate dragon, you stay off these lands and then you can have your town. And they and they form that peace agreement. And that would have been a very nice build off of that as well to where he negotiated this peace between the major cities and the Tuscans. And it's like, all right, major cities, I rule this area. If you want to go into this land, you have to respect the Tuscans and they have to respect you. And like, that would have been just so insanely good. And and I actually really like your idea of the Tuscans show up and they're like, we'll help you, but we're not your army. And, yeah, well, and, Boba, we're, and Boba being like, okay. We're giving <laughs> okay. Tuscan lives over, you know, like city city problems, you know? Exactly. The but city the, full of off-worlder problems. Why are we going and shedding our blood for that, you know? And then in turn, it, like, oh, make Boba go, okay, if we do this, I'll arrange an agreement to where these people don't come on your lands anymore or without your permission. It, like, would, like, it, it would be a moment where Boba Fett realizes that this is their planet, you know, and mm -hmm. like ultimately it's their planet. And not, well, it's and, and it's and it's kind of his planet, too, because now he's he's officially one of them, you know? Yeah. And so I, I was kind of thinking, like, how would they do this? Like, how would they change the story to do this? And I do think it all comes down to his armor, because the reason he seeks out his armor is because he wants revenge and it's not an honorable choice. But the whole point of this Boba Fett is him seeking honor. And we know from the Mandalorian that this armor is his legacy. Like, this is it was his yeah. father's armor it's his so you could still have him leave like just throw up a little like words it's like some time has passed kind of subtitle or like five years later or something like that and he can still set off on his journey but it's to find his armor his armor so he can take it back as a source of pride not a not a not not a revenge but he takes it back because it is his legacy it is part of him he that his, that is his father's it is a piece of him and he wants to find his armor and he has the trust of the tuscans that he can go find his armor and bring back this piece of him because it is his and they would be like okay cool sure. and then like he gets into town and he's like oh shit things are happening and like come back and be like hey guys things are happening i might need you in the future but i'm gonna keep going back like there's so many ways that you could restructure the story to where it would still work for boba's character arc it would still work in the story and it would be fucking groundbreaking to do and i think that's like why it bothers me so much because just killing the tuscans feels like fridging to me it feels like the only way they reason they killed him is because of man pain and it's just a harmful trope and 
I, it just, it really bothers me and I don't like it because there's so many it's, other ways around it. It's not, there are ways around it, but like, there's also, you know, there's also like, you know, storytelling and there's like you, 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 and, and, and you do need, need that for this, their particular story that they're telling. And they're telling the story in a very mythical broad stroke tropish sense and and that for that to happen is not outside of you know the reality of how like you know crime families work and stuff you know and the and the double you know double cross manipulation style thing so it's 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 not like it's not like this doesn't make sense that they would kill off the the tribe of tuscans you know as a matter of fact, it would be right up. It would be right down the Pike's alley to the point of where, like, Boba Fett doesn't see it in front of his nose. But that's why he's got Fennec. Yeah. But, um, you know, but I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's lazy storytelling per se. But I think it's lazy with the way it was dealt with. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe we'll see, you know, maybe we'll have more of it. But, like... Just as far as like a, a a human being would react, we we should see you know there 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 should be you know there hasn't been any introspection towards it, so it has doesn't seem to be like in his you know go in his internal whatever's going on in, inside of Boba Fett, which it seems that naturally it would be. That's that's why, like when I first saw that this scene in this, I was just like, oh man, you know. How, why would you want to go to be, I, I, like, like if he was going to be like, I'm going to be crime boss after this, it, it, it wouldn't make sense for him to be like, I'm going to be nice crime boss. This would be more like for someone like Boba Fett who went through all that and then to have it all, you know, have it all wiped out and be his fault and all these people that his new family is just like dead like his father and uh this time it's his fault would like could send you spinning back into like just being a cold-hearted sociopath just be you know that didn't work out (laughs) but you know what did work out for me just slaughtering people and you know it could have gone in that direction for a while or something but it's it's weird it's it didn't it just didn't jibe to me and that was the part that seemed lazy to me not that they did it you know it's it's awful it's an awful thing to happen but it was like you know i don't Uh, know i'm mixed on it because when i think about it i think well and then i think oh of course that would happen and that's because it's such a trope you know so Mm -hmm. Uh, a well-worn path that is a very lovely transition into my final note a very lovely segue um though to to finish off my last note like i was thinking about how he could still leave for honor and then happen to find finnick and like go that route like it would just still work um but to get into my last note which will also be my theme for act three let's talk about pacing um time and pacing This is the first episode where I really felt the time and the pacing of the series um, really falter. And one of my biggest complaints coming into Book of Boba Fett the second time around, now that I've seen the entire series, was it feels like a not-finished stew. 
And what I mean by that mm. is I like all the ingredients, but they don't have time to gel until like to like really like stew up together. And I'll get more into this in Act Three, but just to give a few examples from Act One or uh, sorry Act Two, um, I'm gonna start with a good thing first. A good thing, because this follows up on my Matt Berry note from Act One. Um, so a good thing about Bubba's character that kind of shows how he's changing and how he's becoming more compassionate. Bubba gets his ass handed to him by Black Chrysanthemum. Like, he gets his ass handed to him. He gets beaten up. He almost gets his spine broke. But the first thing he does when the fight is over is he gives his back to Tank to his injured Morgan Definitely Grimorgan gets his guard. toe broke. Yeah. And the first thing he does is he gives his back to Tank to his injured Gamorian guard. That's a very compassionate action right there because he's probably in a shit ton of pain. He's probably not doing great, but he gives it to his guard to go take care of him first. And this is where I get into the pacing note and we'll get more into act three. I wish the show spent more time on moments like this because as Boba is building this family, we don't get to really see a lot of the interpersonal relationships growing between Boba, the Gamorrean guards, Finnick, the mods, and later Black Kersantan joins them. Now we see the groundwork for Black Kersantan and it's great. Um, but like we don't get a chance to see them really gel. Um, because I love the idea of all these different people coming together, but we don't get to see that. And like one one example I thought of was the mods. Their entire motivation for being here is money. Because they're like, cool, we have a job now. Yay. But we don't see the moment where their loyalty switches. Because we don't see it go from we're here for the money to right. oh, this guy actually gives a shit from about us. We haven't had anyone ever give a shit about us on Tatooine. We're loyal to him. We don't see that switch. It just kind of is expected. They get picked up by Boba, and now they're trying to fight a gladiator yeah. Wookiee because now apparently they're loyal now because reasons. Yeah. And that is, and I'll get more into this in Act 3, but that is my biggest criticism of the series is the lack of time to let interpersonal relationships gel. I, I don't know if we'll ever get... I, I have a feeling from from my... My assessment of this first season is this is the comic book of the this is the most comic booky Star Wars that they've put out. There's been moments and episodes that were comic felt like a Star Wars comic book. And and not and this is not meant as a dig, but as a like Star Wars comic book meant for like 11, 12 year olds. It is. It is broad, even the serious cinematic stuff, the stuff with the Tuscans that's given more time than anything else in this. Basically two episodes, well, like like one and a half episodes because there's still stuff in Mas Epsa or, you know, one, you know, one and a third episode or something. But it's given more time to develop and it feels more slower and meditative. But when you really look at it, it's just broad strokes of him being, you know, accepted into their their family and their their tribe. Mm. And it's and it's, you know, and it's along the lines of a bunch of, you know, stuff we've seen like Dances with Wolves or Little Big Man or, you know, any movie about somebody, you know, the old West, the old West and, you know, becoming a, you know, getting captured and becoming part of a Native American tribe. But everything is told in broad strokes. So it's like, we, since we know the swoop gang are, are going to be loyal 
people to them, they let just the uh, just enough time pass that we realize we we can we can all write the scenes in our head that of how they you know got a little more but at this time i'm thinking also the swoop gang thinks also that maybe you know saying no might not be a good idea you know so they mm-hmm. might be just like sort of like uh well, we better fight this goddamn giant Wookiee. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or, you know, uh, uh, they're sort of in a, between a rock and a hard place. So, but all that stuff is stuff you can put together in your head and, you know, they're going fast and loose. It's it's definitely a lower budget. When we get to Kenobi, Kenobi definitely has got some budget stuff going on in it too, you know, budget stuff going on in it too. And I, uh, again, I'll say not a not a dig in TV. Sometimes like the limitations of stuff force things to happen and the immediate things you get more interesting s- stuff brewing. Yeah. So and, and that's what this episode is. This episode, I'll bet you the I'll bet you the um, the shoots for this were either a riot or hellish because or both probably a combination of both because they were probably really rushed and uh, you know low on budget and time and just in improvising how to do shit and and getting it done which is what robert and it's probably why why robert rodriguez is on this one they're like look do a boba fett show it's sort of a sort of a knockoff spinoff of of the mandalorian but we're not going to take it you know it's not as serious and it's more it's more you know the goofy the goofy fun aspect of of Star Wars, let's go, you know, and and the budget's only you know, three quarters of the Mandalorian because the Mandalorian's fucking expensive, or whatever it is, you know, or half, whatever it is. But and 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 this, that's what it looks like, and I love it. I love that. That yeah, that is a that is a crucible for interesting stuff. It could. It's also a crucible for potential cringe and. And stuff like that, but I don't think we'll ever get like real like depth into it. I don't I don't know if that that's what the show is about. And I maybe that's why it go goes in tandem with the Mandalorian. Maybe this will cross into the Mandalorian and when it does, it'll you know, they can do some more depth in-depth stuff with Boba Fett. But you know, um, when he's on his show, it's pew pew. We're pew pew and yeah, I, I will get more into this in Act 3, but I do want to go ahead and put a pin in this now that I think it's also the size of the cast. This is a big cast, and when you have yeah. big ensembles, stuff gets thrown out. Um, but yeah. I, I will get more into Act 3, which are you ready for? I'm ready. Let's You're wrap this ready. rancor up. Let's. It's depressed. It's easy to wrap it up. <laughs> Just put a ball in its head. It's like it's got blinders on. It's depressed. It's like Eeyore. It's just like thanks. I guess I have a <laughs> like Eeyore. <laughs> I guess I'll be here oh, now. Oh. So <clears throat> Act three. So Bubba and Fennec are having a date. And she's like, look at all that. Oh my god, you got me so much food. He's like, they just keep bringing the food, honey. I have no control over it. I can tell them to stop bringing food and then they just bring more. So enjoy it now while you can. She was like, you should eat more. You're looking very peckish. And he was like, okay, let's talk about what happened. And she's like, look, the they sent, the them being the twins, the Hutt sent someone to kill you, and now we have them. I think we're sending a message that you're not going to bend easily, and we have their dude. 
And we should send a message back. And he's like, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm just going to waffle through this scene because we aren't really talking about anything. And we need something really interesting to happen. And lo and behold, Matt Berry droid comes in. He's like, excuse me, sir, if something interesting is happen- happening. Because the twins are here and they have a gift for you. And Boba's like, all right, let me change out of my bathrobe. So Boba gets dressed. And then they go outside, and it's the twins and all their wonderful Southern Belle glory. And they're just like, well, I do declare, Mr. Boba Fett, it seems that we have come to an understanding that we don't really want this Tatooine rock anymore. And the whole thing was just a big old misunderstanding, and we're here to actually apologize for you. And Boba's like, oh, cool. All right, well, thanks. Like, yeah. I like that we got the we got finally the foghorn leghorn hut. <laughs> right, right. Waha there, son. Waha there. And they're just like, so to apologize, we wanted to give you this here gift right here. It is a baby raincore, and it comes with its very young Danny Trejo too, and our, and he's going to take real good care of it and train it up real nice for you because Tatooine needs a dang old raincore in it. But we decided we we're going to leave because. Turns out we were all lied to. And Bubba's like, wait, what do you mean we we're all lied to? Who lied to us? They're like, oh, it's that mean old Mayor Mock Shies. And he was, apparently he promised this territory to a whole nother group. And Bubba's like, huh, do we know what other group? And they're like, no, but we're just going to fuck on off out of here. Mosey back to now hotter. Y'all have fun now and enjoy us not stealing your entire CGI budget. Bye-bye. And the, t- and the huts leave, sadly. And during all this, like, Boba had brought out Black Chrysanthemum, and Black Chrysanthemum just kind of looks at him. And Boba's like, hey, man. So, uh, they didn't take you back. And Black Chrysanthemum's like, no, they didn't. What are you gonna do with me? And he's like, yeah, uh, you can go now. So, <laughs> he frees Black Chrysanthemum, and Black Chrysanthemum also fucks right out of there, too. Like, all right, bye, and awkwardly runs away. <laughs> just like off into the desert because he can I guess and so uh Boba's like huh look at that Finnick we got a new pet and she's like I am not cleaning up after that thing it is all you man and Finnick goes inside to finish her dinner and Boba's like I have a rancor now and so it's time for him to bond with his brand new pet and Danny Trejo is like all right so this is how you own a rancor it's going to imprint on you, right? And Boba's like, yeah, but it's sad right now. And Boba's like, oh, no, why is it sad? He's like, because it's a baby, but we're going to take care of that bus. And so Boba, like, comes over and has, like, an entire how to train your dragons moment. Because he's like, who's a good rancor? And I actually really love this scene because Tamora looks like he's having the best time with the, this rancor. <laughs> and he's just like, who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? And the rancor is like, I'm a good boy. Hi, Dad. And, and Danny Trejo is just, like, smiling in the background, looking so happy for his baby Rancor. He's like, ooh, oh, boy. But Matt Braley droid comes in again, and, and, and Boba's just like, I'm having a bonding experience. What do you want? And Matt Braley's like, our sweet baby boy, the mayor, has fucked off and has not want to see you ever. And he says that you'll have to wait at least a month to even try and get an appointment. And Boba's like, oh, let's go talk to him. 
Danny Trejo, take care of my baby boy. And Danny Trejo's like, yes, sir, I'll take care of the Rancor. And Bubba leaves, and he and Finnick and the mods go into town because they gotta go talk to the mayor. And they roll up in there with his brand new family in tow to deal with this. So they walk into the building, and there's the major domo doing... Oh, I thought I had a burp. There we go. Doing what he does best, which is bullshit them. And Finnick is not having it anymore. And she's like, look, dude, we'll do this one of two ways. You can either let us in or I'll shoot you. Which one do you want? And the major domo is just like, ha, 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 ha. I'm going to make a space in my appointments. Just wait a second. Okay, bye. And he walks into the back room and he locks the door. And Boba and Finnick are like, what little shit? And they run back there and he's gone. But he's not actually gone because he runs away outside because, of course, he does. Gets his in his speeder and drives away. And Boba and Vic run out there and they're like, all right, mods, you're ready to have your really cool chase scene? And they're like, yes, we are. Aye, aye, Captain. And the mods go after the Major Domo through the streets of Mos Espa. And they are all like, vroom, vroom, vroom. And they're speeding around corners. And then they're jumping over things, and the Major Domo is doing, like, every comedic thing. Like, they're crashing through paintings being carried across the street. And, like, fruit stands are coming over, and people are like, Get out of the way! And the sidewalks and stuff. It is great. And it's, like, three minutes of a really awesome chase, and it's super fun. And finally, it ends because the mods get the Major Domo to crash into a Melu run fruit stand. So shout out to Star Wars Rebels because those are Melu runs. And Bobo arrives and he's just like, hey, how's it going? Doing all right? And the Major Domo's like, well, I just crashed my car into a Melu run stand. So I'm not doing very great, sir. It's like, cool. Who's the mayor working for and where is he? And finally, the Major Domo's like, oh, fine. The mayor is with the pikes, and he's working with the pikes, and you should have a much bigger reaction because they killed your Tuscan family, but you don't know that right now. And 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 Boba's like, yes, I am going to be very underwhelmed by this information. See you next week. Bye. <laughs> and they run away. And so we then go to the shipping yards at, in a unknown time later, and we see that forces are gathering as several pikes come off a ship, and. As more pikes are arriving on Tatooine, Boba's new family is watching them as one of the mods reports back to their boss. And Boba looks at Finnick, and Finnick looks at Boba, and they both know that war is coming to Tatooine. The end. Dun dun dun. Oh, you know. War is coming. Okay. Right off the bat. I was hoping for it. And here he comes, Danny Trejo. I love Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. I, I literally have a note that says Danny Trejo is a national treasure. He is. He's one of those character actors where, and you know, here we're get, I'm going to get a little parasocial here because I do not know Jan, Danny Trejo. He could, you know, be a domestic abuser, horrible person, but. I don't think he is because he, he doesn't just, seem like it from everything he, I've ever read about him. He, he's 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 started out like doing stunts and bit parts as like a heavy and came up because he's got like the voice and the look and stuff. But it's like you can't 
see him you can see him in a role as a heavy and be like yeah he's a great kick-ass heavy but anytime you see him in interviews or in a movie where he's not playing a heavy he just has this positive vibe this great vibe of where you're like this guy seems not only just like really like nice but like super intelligent and like chill to be around he just the thing about Trejo also is like he had a really hard early life. Like he right. was in jail, he did mm-hmm. drugs, mm-hmm. and he completely turned around. Like I was when I was kind of doing research for this, I was reading about um apart from his um autobiography, and he was on the Muppets show. And the before he started filming for the Muppets, he found out his mother passed away and he couldn't be there. And it was really devastating for him. And apparently, I did not know this, there's a rule that once the, you're on the set with the Muppets, like the, the puppeteers have to act in character at all times. So he had this moment where he was really trying to hold it together. And the actor that plays Kermit in Kermit's voice was Jim just Henson. like... Henson. I Well, no, this was like the later. later oh, Kermit okay. Um, and he... He told Danny Trejo, I'm really sorry about your mom. And Trejo apparently like broke down crying and ran into the bathroom because he could not hold it together anymore. And the actor came over and was like comforting him. And like, that's just a really touching scene that really shows like somebody can have an incredibly difficult life and then turn their lives around. And everything I read, like, and he's open about it. He's open about being in jail. He's open about being his drug use. But somebody who can come from such a hard life and turn their life around is and like to like be really successful is like really admirable a lot and of the, uh, everything well, a lot i've of people, ever read about him is just stunningly heartwarming and great a lot of those people who've had horrible like violent early lives that don't that you know if you continue going with it you end up dead or, or in prison forever so if you get past it usually those like a lot of times those people end up to be like some of the most like gentle and humorous people you'll ever meet you know Oh, interesting i just found this on because i pulled up his wikipedia and like he's very open he was like no i destroyed my first marriage it was because of my drug use and my Mm. criminal background like i destroyed it it was my fault like and reading this it says his second cousin is filmmaker robert rodriguez though the two were unaware they were related until they filmed desperado oh that's amazing Mm mm-hmm I'm sure Robert Robert Rodriguez was aware of Danny Trejo, you know, before that, just from his earlier movies and stuff, and but and probably excited to have him in Desperado by that by that point. That but just to find out then you're related to somebody, <laughs> it would be amazing. Yeah, but yeah, I I absolutely agree. Like Danny Trejo is a national treasure. He absolutely yeah. is. Yeah, this as soon as I saw like Robert Rodriguez, I'm like, please be Trejo be in here, and I and I knew he would be because he's gonna be like, I gotta get Danny in on Star Wars, or Danny was like, hey man, get me in Star Wars. Yeah, and like God, and he's such a, like a warm like presence, and like the, I haven't seen the later Spy Kid movies, but like in the first ones, like he's just like Uncle Machete, and he's mm-hmm. just like this like warm, mm-hmm. lovely person, and uh love him, love him so much. Um. My other notes, Chekhov's Rancor. <laughs> yeah. And my only other note is sort of my big note, and it's about the chase, which I love. I love the chase, too. Let's talk about it, because um, I have it some notes stup- about it, too. 
It is stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Sorry. <laughs> but I said candy. In the best way. I mean, the, the, the point it gets, it goes into my um, Bombad Jedi point is where they bust through the picture of Jabba. That gag, A, a self-referential meta Star Wars, and, and also a reference to, like, um, velvet paintings. <laughs> and, and there being real velvet paintings of Jabba's throne room. But at the same time, and tattooing, somebody might be painting decorative pictures of Jabba the Hutter. Have some left over that they're moving into storage now. So, it, okay, it's you can make it work or whatever, but it's, I mean, it's, that's a stupid gag that's been going on since the third, that's like every studio backlot chase. You turn a corner and it looks like you're running down a country road, but you run through, you know, a painting of a country road. But that's what I love about it. It was a combination of comic book and 70s TV show chase low budget i said and, 70s speeder chase too <laughs> yeah it, 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 i mean we were talking like the length of ground that they cover in this show the average speeder bike chase in star wars would cover that ground in like what like four seconds just like whoa right through mas epsa you know it'd be this in this is a 30 mile per hour chase but you're dealing with you're chasing the domo, who this guy's not a f- fucking drive your your car fat. He's in his Studebaker, you know. He's right. in his like bureaucrat car, so right. he can only go so fast. So it's just comedy. It's just uh, it's it's a uh, it's like barreling through the the main part of town, and and I noticed this time that like. A lot of that, except there, and like sometimes it looks wonky with when there's CG when the speeder bikes have to do jumps and stuff that are impossible to film like they did. But for the most part, it's filmed old, the old-fashioned way. As it's filmed just like if you were filming cars chasing each other, and and like most of the shots are people actually sitting on their speeder bikes or you know the major domo in his car. And just using angle camera angles and camera movements to to add speed and energy to it. And it's just I I mean, I'm watching it and it's just, you know, and that's the thing about Robert Rodriguez and Sam Raimi before he was big budget is is injecting energy with 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 low budget and old, you know, just you know, duct tape technique. You know, and that's what this is. And it's a it's a great achievement of that. It has it just has a great rhythm to it. It's it's goofy. It's got all sorts of just little sides. There's always something going on in the background and little details. It's I I love it. And and that's, you know, sort of we're going to get a good bit of that going forward in the show. So, So I'm I'm happy. That's all I got for for notes. Jumping on the chase myself. Um, I, I described it as campy. Um, I wouldn't call it that. I called oh, it campy. Sure. Um, and because of, I, I also noted that like the Java painting, but like also, 
I th- there are good tropes and there are bad tropes, and the speeder chase is fun. It's a very fun trope, and it uses a lot of fun speeder tropes. Um, and the reason I I noted the '70s speeder chase is it feels like something they would do if this was made in a New Hope. Like if if they had the chance to like do something like this on Tatooine with like Luke and Obi Wan and the droids running away from the Empire, it would probably look like this. It feels like it was made. In and the if 70s. it came off like this, people would have lost their minds. They would have been like, "This is amazing!" You know, I would have been exactly. Like, yeah. And I I like it, and I know that the speeder chase gets a lot of crap, but I love it. Like it, it really has grown on me, and it's again so prequely. It's so bright and colorful. It has a lot of like the wonky humor of the prequels, and there's even a person who looks like they're wearing Zam Wessel's costume. Like they they go around the corner and like a woman like turns away and I had to go back and I was like was that Zam Wessel isn't she dead and I went back and I paused it and it's not Zam Wessel but boy it looks like her costume and so there's it's so prequely and it's just this is the kind of thing I really love in it so I I adore it it's I love the camp of it and yeah shout again shout out to Chase from Pink Milk because mm-hmm. they they really won me over on the speed chase on in these mods so um where are all my little notes so before I get into the back <laughs> so so I only have two other little notes before I get back into talking about pacing um one thing that I really like um just through the Hut's dialogue is it's showing the change in power because the Hut specifically the sister um expresses her thoughts on Tatooine because at one time in the original trilogy it was a power hub for the huts it was Jabba's base of operations it was a powerful place but the sister in particular calls it a worthless rock which I thought was interesting because it shows the power dynamic shifting away and also reframing this new time period yeah that was her girl like we didn't like Tatooine anyway <laughs> mm-hmm but it does really show the power dynamics shifting into a new time period, which we're getting into this. We're moving away from the original trilogy and we're getting into the sequel era. So it's mm-hmm. it's very fitting here. So I like that. It um, reminded me of um, uh, we've we've you have not watched THX 1138, right? Right. <coughs> At the end of THX, and then the main character is, you know, uh in a in a you know drone drone sterile world he's starting to rebel and get in trouble and then they you know they're coming after him and he's trying to escape and he's running and he's running and all the the police are chasing after him and stuff and then after a certain point they just stop they just go away and they just call it off because they'd reached the limit of their budget to like chase after somebody in their you know in the program of their algorithm and they're just like, ah, oh, we're about to spend, ah, oh, we've just, cro- well, we crashed a car. It's, we've spent too much money trying to hunt down this guy. Let's just give up, let him go. Uh, and that's what I think the huts did. They were just like, well, well, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the pikes are all stirred up and stuff. And you know what? Let's go back. Let's go back to Hutta and eat, you know, eat and eat and eat, eat some live frogs and, you know, just hang around and do what we do. Have, weird yeah. creepy incest like hut hut sibling <laughs> not step siblings they're hot si- siblings they're the lannisters of the huts <laughs> yes uh, maybe all hus- huts are lannisters yeah who knows but yeah, yeah. 
Um, and my other small note before we talk more about pacing is I love the interaction between Black Chrysanthemum and Boba. Because when Boba frees him, Black Chrysanthemum absolutely has a look of like, you sure? Really? <laughs> like, is this really happening? Like, what's happening, dude? Um, and then Boba tells him, like, you know, take it from an ex-bounty hunter. He very specifically says ex-bounty hunter to show that he's not there anymore. And he and he gives him some advice, like, don't work for people who think that you're going to be worthless. You're worth more than that. And again, it emphasizes the change in Boba's character, where he, this person who um, I, I'm not as familiar with the comics, but I do, I am aware that Black Chrysanthemum and Boba worked together in the comics and that, that right. they have a history. Um you know, he's saying, like, I'm not in that place anymore. I'm not going to treat you the way I used to. I'm a different person now. And I'm giving you an opportunity to do what I'm doing. And Black Kirsten, of course, we know later, comes back and joins Boba. You know, he has some time on his own. He thinks about it. And then he comes back and joins Boba. Um, and so it's it's just more of just, like, showing Boba's change as a character and where he is in the world and how you can always tell a character changes by how they impart their knowledge onto other people. And he is giving knowledge and this new like life view to Black Chrysanthemum that caused him to change. And that's the mm -hmm. best way to show a character changes. Um, all right, let's pacing. I'm going to come back to pacing now. So I want to be clear about this. It's what cult leaders do, too. <laughs> no, that, too. <laughs> um, Book of we run things differently too. here, and, and there's always a place for you. Season two, Bubba's Manson family. <laughs> oh. um, so to get back into pacing, to kind of like point out a few examples that I wish there was some expansion, um, I do want to make it clear about one thing. We don't need to see every single conversation in every single scene. That's not what television is. It doesn't work that way. But what... Oh, the Mansalorian. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was really good. It's funny because I was trying my best to try and to somehow turn Hudson Lannister into a word. And I, I thought of Hannisters or Huddisters. And I was like, none of this makes sense. <laughs> so you, you win the internet for the day. You win the podcast, Chris, for the evening. Um, but yeah, like television doesn't work this way. Like you can't show every single interaction um, because then the show drags. But they're... This was the episode that I really felt the lack of time. This episode is actually tied with episode one of being the shortest episode of the season. But episode one is paced so well that you don't feel it. This, I feel it. Because there's just not enough time for characters to breathe. And so much of this episode, to me, feels like... Things just are happening. Stuff is happening. It's just stuff after stuff after stuff. Action and action and action. And there's no character death. Depth. There's no character motivation. It goes back to like how we were saying that we wish, even though the Tuscans die, it falls. It's a really short scene. There's no emotional. There's not like a lot of weight to it because we don't get to sit in the sadness. And to point out a few points, like no, we're punched out of it basically. <laughs> yeah, we are literally punched out of the scene by Black Chrysanthemum. And a few points that came up for one is Boba and Phoenix conversation about what to do at the opening of this act there. I wish that conversation could have been like another 30 seconds longer because Boba has essentially, I don't want to say he's been ignoring Fennec, but she's been giving him all this advice and everything she said has said has come back to haunt Boba in one way or another. And 
so having the scene where Finnick kind of been like, look, I've been telling you these things for two episodes now, and everything I've been telling you has rang true. Like, why are you not listening to me? To, like, show their interpersonal relationship. Because um, the one I feel place- they haven't been together enough that the, like, I owe you my life thing hasn't worn off her completely yet. So she's like, I'm not going to, you know, he did save my life. You know, eventually she, it's, I would have imagine that she's gonna be like look i know you saved my life but fucking why is i i would have felt that way if not knowing the next episode because we do see how finnick and boba gel and we know that their relationship is different and they're at that place so i would have agreed to with you originally if we were doing this weekly um the only place i did not feel this was the rancor scene is slow and I mean slow in the best way because it gives Boba a chance to breathe. It is working thematically because the Rancor represents Boba. They were both trained for fighting with no choice in the matter. They, like Danny Trejo says the line, Rancors are powerful fighters, which is what they're most known for. But that's And they also form strong bonds. That but is they're also Boba. very complex emotionally. Yeah, and that is Boba right now. You know, he was a powerful fighter because that is what people have known him for. People only know him as a bounty hunter, which is why he's had the problems in the first two episodes. But he's forming emotional strong bonds. This was the only scene of this episode where I really felt the pacing really worked. Because when you start getting into the rest of it, um, you know, I mentioned the, the Boba and Finnick scene. I wish... There was a scene of them bonding with the mods. I don't need them to like each introduce their names and tell their backstories, but having a moment of them just being like, these are your rooms. Make yourselves at home. You're one of us now. Just to show that loyalty switch that I was talking about in, in Act 2. You know, to be like, oh, we're here for the money. And Boba being like, well, we'll also take care of you. And the mods being like, oh my god, we're going to get taken care of? Really? Like, no one's given a shit about us ever before. Because that's the point of the show, is Boba is trying to change Tatooine for everyone. I even thought about, like, what if the mods met the Gamorrean guards? They're all fighting Black Chrysanthem seamlessly together as a unit. But we don't see that moment of them being like, ah, Gamorrean guards! And Boba being like, no, no, they're with us. And they're like, oh, oh really? Like... And same with the twins. The twins are awesome. And I don't get me wrong. They're probably expensive as fuck. They are probably yep. the most expensive thing in the show. Oh, and yeah. you can tell. And But even then, like, story-wise, they show up last week, and now they're gone for the rest of the show. They just fuck on out of there. And, like, so, like, this is the first episode where I really felt the pacing and the time was an issue. This episode needed to be another, like, 10-ish minutes long just to give the characters time to gel because everything is just so like stuff happens, stuff happens, stuff happens. And the characters are just kind of like, well, I guess they're friends now for reasons. And this is the first time I felt that. And I I know I'm going to feel like this for the rest of the show because I remember it and I remember how it gelled the rest of the show, or I guess how it didn't gel, I should say for the rest of the show, because you know, the mods are laying down their lives for Tatooine, but we don't really know their reasons or motivations other than it is happening. And that, that to me, is the biggest weakness of Book of Boba Fett. And this episode really encapsulates that really well because it's the start of the problem and the problem doesn't go away. I and think it's going to be like that forever. Yeah, I think that's just going to be the show. 
it's going to be broad strokes and people going in and out. It probably will end up being like the show where everybody can cross over into it, you know, so you can have all kinds of, cause it, it, it like, I mean, it's just setting it's setting the precedent that like, you just can't tell where it's going, what's going to happen, you know, from. Yeah. It needs to breathe. And this, the stew needs to boil longer before it's a proper stew. Right now, all the ingredients are so good. I love all the ingredients. They're so tasty. But right now, they're not, they, they don't have enough time to form into a very rich broth. And, and that is the point where Book of Boba Fett doesn't work for me. So, um, But that's all I have for this episode. Did you have anything else? I do not. All right. Well, score it up for me, Chris. I, it's kind of changing, but I'm thinking this. I like this episode about as much as I like the last two, but I don't think it's as strong an episode as the last two. And I probably would have given it an 8.5, but Danny Trejo made me make it a nine and put it right up there with the first two episodes. Yep. And (laughs) so I'm giving it a nine. It's All just, right. it's just totally, it's just enjoyable. It's, it's light. It's, it's, even though it has the Tuscans die in it, it's the beginning of, and I think it's the perfect word is the camp, the campy, the campy Mandalorian that's going to be from here on out until it becomes, or I mean the Bo- Book of Boba Fett until it becomes a Mandalorian briefly and then becomes campy, mm-hmm. campy uh, Boba Fett again. Yeah. Um, for me, I definitely agree that it's not as strong as the first two. Um, and while I like so much stuff in this episode, between the pacing and the Tuscans, I had to dock it. Um, I gave an 8 out of 10. That's I, so I, still not a bad score. Yeah, it's it's still... I, I like so much in this episode. I just wish we had like another like 5 to 10 minutes. Like It's so... So much it doesn't it needs to breathe. It needs to be aired out some and like let it breathe and stuff. So well, as always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, or on the Two True Freaks Facebook page. This week our feedback comes from our Mandalorian episode, The Jedi. Take it away, Chris. All right. Um, the first one comes from Charles from Gold Squadron Gaze. I love that I have become the signal that hope is about to make a High Republic reference. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> You're welcome, here, Charles. Here it comes, Charles. We're gonna <laughs> we're talking about something Chris doesn't know nothing about. Yep, yep. Those are all for you, hon. Also, my plan to ghostwrite Yoda's memoir does not require him to read. It only requires alcohol, a tape recorder, and some mild prompting. So a stick. <laughs> <laughs> so uh that one man yoda show charles that chris was talking about you're gonna write it right oh even better much more potential money in there oh well, well why not why not a memoir and then the stage play based on the memoir ah look at you thinking smarter not harder just like groucho and mark twain and all that yeah all right and abe lincoln and yoda <laughs> you know we're laughing about it but i think it could actually you could actually do like it off uh, i mean it sounds like a good way to get sued but not if it's in the realm of parody 
parody, you can get by. As long as it's parody, you will not get sued. Mm. It'd be close. It depends on how much money it makes, maybe. But, like, I think that could, I think, I mean, I would go see it, right? <laughs> uh, I would. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. Who wouldn't? Few people, maybe. All right. But that's it. Just like five or six people would be like, yeah, that doesn't sound interesting at all. Yoda giving his memoirs on stage. I just I just still I want it to be like a six foot actor with just like ears and <laughs> some green, some light green makeup on and just like in a, robe. <laughs> in a bathrobe, you know. Hey, oh, if I knew you were coming, I'd put on my like pants and shirt. But oh, well. <laughs> anyway, underneath the only thing he has underneath is tidy whities with like a like a five dollar plastic lightsaber from Target on his hip. Yep, yep. Just sort of just sort of hanging, just like hanging on a loop from the side of his bathrobe, just sort of hanging and dragging on the ground. A little smoke coming up from the ground. Mm-hmm. All right, the next one comes from Gene Hendricks. It's Gene. Himbo and Son sounds like a 70s TV show about a trucker and his kid or really a junk collector. It really does. Lots of lots of 70s TV show talk in uh, in uh, this episode. All right. The next one comes from Diego Lemos. I thought it was confirmed that this episode happens before the Rebels epilogue and with I... the return of. Oh, I meant God. to look that up and I forgot to, Diego. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but I believe you are correct. Because um, when I saw this comment, I was like, yeah, it, I'm pretty sure you're right about that. But I forgot to look it up because I'm bad at my job. Yeah. And with the return of Thrawn and Mount Tantus, we could see the return of Boba Fett, Luke, and the clones of Boba Fett, and Luke that Thrawn commissioned. By the way, Luke is L U U K E. Yes, yes. Luke. Luke. I remember that. So, but thank you everyone for your feedback. Um, we have no more candy this week. Though I still have my leftover Kit Kat puffs from last week, and I should probably finish them at some point. They're living in my refrigerator right now. <laughs> and they were so fucking good. So, uh, do you have anything else for the streets of Moss Espa? I do not. All right, Chris. Well, where can people find you? You can find me at Two True Freaks, where we have all our podcasts. And we're currently at the Akadekagonagon Theater Group in the middle of, you might even make it. They might still, they're probably still going by the time this comes out. Every Friday, we're putting out a new Halloween Tale of Terrors. And let me tell you, they're pretty crunchy. They get a little. They get a little. I'm, I'm getting. They're they're sort of like old radio dramas, but we get to swear, and I get to get a little extra crunchy with the sound effects. So that's I. I'm the, crunchy. Um, yes, crunchy, drippy, squishy, but in in a horror way, not in like a porno way. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, they get they get to be a little they get they get to be a little gruesome, a little more gruesome than like a nineteen fifties radio show or thirties forties radio show, but in that same sort of mold, moldy, moldy, mold. Anyway, that's our that's our uh, 
podcast website. You can go check that out. And uh, we also have a podcast presence on Facebook. We got the Two True Freaks podcast page, which is our podcast page. We post all our shows up. All the, Everybody who has a show posts it up there when it comes out. And we got the Two True Freaks cantina where you can go chat. And we are also on Twitter, which apparently may be Elon Musk's Twitter again. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how it's going. Anyway, and that is run by Gene Gene, the 70s TV machine. And come check out Himbo and Son, and its theme song is do 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 Gene. Himbo and Son, Mondays at 7 on <laughs> CBS. With a laugh, laugh track and everything. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm, I'm digging up laugh tracks for what for the last episode of the the horror <laughs> podcast. Yep. 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 But anyway, that's where they can find me. What can they find you, Hope? You can find me at JS and Jedi on Twitter. I run our Twitter account. You can also find me at Hope Molinux on Twitter. Um, I am also a staff writer for the Geeky Waffles, where I like to scream about animation. I actually am in the process of finishing up a look back at the entire Hotel Transylvania franchise. Um, so that is definitely up by now, because I'm editing it tomorrow and posting it. Um, I am also a contributor for Dork Side of the Force, where I've been writing a lot about Andor. I also just published my fucking animation magnum opus, talking about everything that's been happening in the animation world. From the gutting of Netflix and HBO to New Deal for Animation, um, to the history of animation and the class action lawsuit against George Lucas. And what does this all mean for the future of Lucasfilm animation? Um, I'm very proud of the piece, you guys. I worked two weeks on it and I'm very proud of it. So please check it out. Um, I love it. And uh, everyone's been really nice about it, and I like that. Except for, like, the one guy that was... <laughs> I did get one comment, and it made me laugh, because the guy was like, well, I think they should focus on more live-action content and end animation for good. And I'm like, you're the person I wrote this for, dude. <laughs> you're clearly the person that clearly ignored everything I wrote in this, but thanks for asking. Um, and the other thing, I talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. I'm also one of the players for the Star Wars tabletop podcast for Light and Dice. It is so much fun. It is ongoing now. It's definitely out. We are weekly. And new episodes should be out. Oh, let's see. We should be on episode... Let's see. Episode 1 came out last week. Then this week would be episode 2. Next week... So we, by the time this episode comes out, we should be on episode 4 or 5. And we are just having the best time our characters are coming together we are gelling and it is just with such a beautiful group of people charles one of our listeners that you just heard us feedback for is on it as well and i am very proud of this pot this project um chris rdm is just knocking the editor the editing out of the park it has music and sound effects it's just really great and i'm so proud to be a part of this project so please 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 go check out for light and dice um, we are having just the best time over there and come on this adventure with us because it's a lot of fun. So, um, so yeah. All right. Well, come back next week for the romantic tale of Boba and Finnick as we talk about episode four of Book of Boba Fett, which is The Gathering Storm. 
We're almost done with Book of Boba Fett, actually. We're, I know. It doesn't take long. No, as of next week, we'll be over halfway done. So, yeah, it's kind of... It's, it's, it, I'm enjoying this ride with Book of Boba Fett. It's fun. And after next week, we'll get into the Mando episodes, which I do have thoughts on. So, because... Oh, boy. <laughs> I love... Okay, that sounded negative. I love the Mando episodes. My question going into them, which I'll probably talk about a little bit next week and definitely the week we talk about them, is... Should some of this been in the show? Which I think is an interesting debate to have, which they're all really good, but are they in the wrong show? So, because I know people who skipped Book of Boba Fett because they were not interested in it, and I'm just like, oh, you missed major developments of Mando uh-huh. then. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they shouldn't that be That might have been the point. That might have been part of the point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but we'll talk about that more. So come back next week. We'll talk about Gathering Forces and, yeah, so... All right, bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. No, don't open Chrome. I... Skype. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks. Bye.